Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls. Survive this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish undertaking. Something evil. Man, now that's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. Not recommended for impressionable children. <laughs> One of my favorite movie lines of all time. So anyway, welcome back. Uh, thanks for bearing with us on our two-week hiatus uh, for Thanksgiving. Uh, we got, this is episode 30 now, right, Michelle? Yes, sir. Yeah, so we, we're, it's a milestone for us. So we'll uh, do another show next week, and we're going to take two weeks off for Christmas and New Year's again. But uh, we're going to, you know, we, we're going to pack some fun in here. We've got some fun recommendations, some uh, fun birthday stuff, and... Uh, uh, and Miles has a special story. So anyway, but let, let's welcome everybody back. Joe, welcome back. I uh, hope you had a, a good couple weeks off, and I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We did. We did. We ate. We ate. We ate. <laughs> <and> ate. <laughs> nice, nice. And yes. uh, Michelle, how did uh, your turkey come out? Perfect, as always? Delicious, as always. And we had it all eaten up. Uh, I think last week we had the last of it. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're, we have a little bit of turkey uh, left in the freezer, uh, but yeah, all the sides. Uh, we we tried some crazy stuff. We tried uh, Leopold's from uh, the Big Bad Me- B Movie Show. I did the uh, he made a uh, a green bean casserole pizza, and I made one. <laughs> oh, very cool! Yeah, we so, have half of a carcass left for soup making, but other than that, yeah. Uh, nothing left except for the first half that I made into stock. So there you go. There you go. So, and uh, uh, Miles, uh, I'm sure it was a big chore for you to eat some of that food, wasn't it? It, uh, yeah, yeah, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a carp nut, so yeah, the stuffing yeah. and the uh, mashed potatoes were my, my go-to. Oh, Lord, yeah. Oh, God. I, I, I love me some mashed potatoes. Uh, you know, I, I've been finding myself uh, just making a small batch of fresh mashed potatoes uh, as a side for just about everything lately, so <laughs> gotta watch that. Um, but yeah, no, I, we, we went to my mom's and, uh, we tried, uh, I did turkey breast uh, roulade, um, at her house and we did a regular turkey at our house. Um, so, but the roulade was really good. Uh, so, you know, just vegetables and butter, you know, sauteed vegetables and butter, uh, on the inside, roll it up, tie it off and roast it. So, uh, and it came out very succulent. So anyway, I uh, hope all of our listeners had a nice Thanksgiving, and uh, yeah, so I figured uh, we, we're going to cover several different fronts on the show tonight. Michelle's going to be talking about a birthday, a very special birthday from the season, uh, Boris Karloff later. That's going to be great. Michelle, 
that will be great. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I hit That's the wrong okay. button. I had That's to change okay. my buttons again. Um, yeah. No uh, we missed it because of Thanksgiving, and I wanted to give some time to him. So there you oh, go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's one of the big ones. We can't miss him. And, of course, uh, Joe, uh, 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 a pretty great birthday. I'm excited because I did not listen to the clips all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You're going to be talking about Red Fox. I am. And a very, very tiny hello to uh, to Ted Knight. Yes, yes. Exactly. I, I, kept, I kept that real, real, and we could cut it if we, we need to, but uh, I don't think so because we're going to go right through Red Fox. I had to do a yeah. lot of uh, editing. Red and, <laughs> so Red and Ted. I bet. <laughs> so, uh, And uh, Miles, you have a special story for uh, uh, as a treat to Adam tonight. Yes, he requested uh, something on the 101st Airborne Division. So All right, there that would be my topic. All right, and of course, we're at the end of the show. We're going to be talking about uh, the classic Twilight episode starring uh, Art Carney, uh, "Night of the Meek," which just beat the crap out of me before the show tonight, uh, as it always does. Um, I haven't seen it in years, but man, that's a powerful episode. That you know that that is probably one of the finest uh, Christmas TV uh, episodes of any show, hands down. Um, it was amazing. So, uh, yeah, so, but what I want, I have a special treat for everybody who doesn't, for, for anybody who wants to get a little bit in the Christmas spirit but doesn't want to go all in, um, I'm doing a non-Christmas movie Christmas movies for everybody right now. So this is, a, a, I, I picked out some of my favorite movies that take place during Christmas but aren't necessarily Christmas-centric. So you're not going to hear Rudolph or Santa or Frosty in the names of these movies. Um, but there are some big names. There are some real big names. And, uh, oh, I should have had this. <laughs> I need, I need my clip for this. Um, uh, hang on. I, I'm really disorganized right now. Um, but, uh, oh, come on. Where is it? There it is. Yeah. So there, there will be one famous name. Merry Christmas, 007. Yes, that's right. <laughs> the, the one and only, the one and done, <laughs> George Lazenby, uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service from 1969, yes, indeed, does take place during Christmas time. Uh, and that was Telly Savalas, uh, is the, the big bad. Did he play Blofeld in that? Or was he a different villain? Because I know that they had, uh, Blofeld was like 18 different actors or something. So Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't watched that in a long time. Well, this trailer is very 1969, let me tell you. <laughs> and well, you, know, you, you remember also there was a Bond girl named Christmas. Christmas oh. Jones. Oh, okay. And uh, that she wasn't in this one though, right? No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, so this is, and this, this one also has uh, the wonderful Diana Rigg, who was in The Avengers as well. So, um, but in was in Game of Thrones as uh, Lady Martell, I believe. Um, but, uh, and she just passed away not too long ago. But yeah, here we go. So here's our first non-Christmas Christmas movie uh, for all you Bond heads out there. If you can't beat them, join them. If you're scared to fight it out, Watch him and watch out. If you think your girl's a good looker, take a good look at this guy's dolls. My name's Bond, James Bond. 
the new bomb. The different 007 on Her Majesty's Secret Service. The new star, the different Bond. The names Lazenby, George Lazenby, and he's got it made. The different Bond woman, the names Rick, Diana Rick. This one's got class and style. <laughs> Telly Savalas, Gabriel Fazetti. And 007 times more excitement. If you think you know your Bond, think again. This one's different. It's true! <laughs> <laughs> it's true, it's true. Drop everything. Try and make it. Marvelous is the password for the different Bond. says this never happened to the other fella <laughs> this never happened to the other fella ah, i love that i love that that's like early like breaking the fourth wall you know uh in a movie i really like that um but you know i i i gotta say my dad was a huge james bond fan and he gave mad props to uh lazenby uh, he, he thought he did a good job. So, and then Connor, then I Sean, like them. yeah. And then Sean Connery returned for what diamonds are forever. And then that was his actual last one. Was it? Uh, I think he, he did a retro. <clears throat> he came back. Yeah. He did one in while. like 1980 called never say never again. Never which say was, never again. Right. It wasn't an MGM one. It wasn't like one of the broccoli productions. It was, you know, <laughs> no. but, yeah, but that one was like a rip off of Thunderball. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kind of was. So, um, but yeah. Yeah, so, it was Blofeld. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. Okay. Uh, Telly did play Blofeld in that movie. Okay, thanks for looking that up, because I thought so, because the way he was dressed, you know, that gray, you know, kind of bland suit. Uh, but yeah, so Merry Christmas, 007. Merry Christmas, 007. Uh, <laughs> what a voice Telly Savalas had. Um, I do love me some Telly Savalas. He's yeah. just fun. <laughs> Yeah, he was in all kinds of great stuff. But uh, uh, Miles, you are you a, are you a bit of a Bond fan? I I've watched my share, sure. Yeah, did you like this one? Yeah, yeah. yeah this is, lots yeah. of luging and skiing too to put you in a winter wintry mood. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of bad green screen too. <laughs> oh yeah. So, so yeah, so and that... George Clasenberry wear, wearing Scottish garb too. Oh yeah, and proving that uh, what uh, uh, what is worn under a kilt, because he dropped his kilt in the trailer, and the woman in the bed said, "It's true." Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Joe, does this one have your the Santorsa seal of approval for Bond films? Absolutely. All right. <laughs> All Bond, most Bond films, anyway. Yeah, have yeah. that still. But I, I'm especially a, a Sean 
binary snob sort. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, did you did your heart break a little when he was replaced, but then maybe healed a little bit when he came back? Uh, actually, you know, I enjoy all the bonds. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, most of the bonds, like I do all the Doctor Who's except one. Yeah. So, so uh, no, not really. I I just he was my first bond. Sure. You know, you sure. never forget your first. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You know, and what's interesting is I uh, I, I just sold a copy of uh, Casino Royale, the spoof, uh, with Peter Sellers and all kinds of other great people in it. Um, and uh, it had the, the it was co- turned out to be kind of a valuable DVD because it has the original first television appearance of James Bond from a show called Climax. Um, and but he was American, and they called him Jimmy. Um, but uh, it was the first uh, actual like live, you know, non book portrayal of of a James Bond uh, back in the late fifties. So interesting stuff but yeah so so yeah if you want to watch something that's set in the christmas uh christmas time but isn't a christmas movie get yourself 1969's on her majesty's secret service streaming or go buy a copy uh now one of my favorite 80s movies great fun dark comedy starring john cusack that's where our line at the beginning of, of the show came from this one man and that's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like yes, that. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, uh, what a what a great uh, uh, movie Better Off Dead was. But yeah, it, so much great humor, and uh, you know, it, you know, pretty dark comedy. The guy's trying to you know kill himself. <laughs> but and some a- truly vicious paper boys. Woo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Three dollars. <laughs> So, but yeah, here's the trailer for Better Off Dead, 1985. Does it ever feel like everyone's got more going than you do? Oops. <laughs> that everyone is smart. So you're Al Myers, kid? Yes, I am. You look pretty stupid to me. Thank you. You say the best skier in town just ran off with your girlfriend? Even your younger brother does better than you do? And that nobody even cares? That broke up with me. Oh, that's nice. Well, you might be right. But remember one thing. I haven't even been to New York City. Nobody was ever better off dead. The truth is I can outski you any day of the week. Oh, really? Yeah, you want a race? I'll take you on any day, sucker. Go that way, really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. All you need is guts. All right! Now turn! I'm gonna race, I'm gonna lose, and I'm gonna die in that order. Go! And you'll never doubt yourself again. He's skiing on one ski! Better off dead. And that's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. An abnormal look at a normal teenager. Great movie, uh, you know. It's got some fun little surrealist uh, twists to it. The the uh, sing, you know, the hamburger singing "Everybody Wants Some" playing an Eddie Van Halen guitar. Uh, you know the, <laughs> the 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 street value of the snow uh, on the mountain. Of course, uh, one of our uh, a fan favorite here 
in this household, Curtis Armstrong, of course, Susan loves him for his work on Supernatural as Metatron. Uh, I love him (laughs) as Booger in the Revenge of the Nerds movies, the problematic Revenge of the Nerds movies. And, of course, he was great in um, uh, Moonlighting, right? Wasn't he in Moonlighting? Or was he in, or was it L.A. Law? Shit, I can't remember. I think it was Moonlighting. Um, but no, he's done a lot of, lot of really good stuff. And of course, uh, uh, David Ogden Steers, uh, from MASH fame, uh, and, uh, many other wonderful roles, not as the Martian Manhunter in the failed Justice League pilot from the nineties. Woo. That was rough. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, just a great old comedy film. And of course it's set, you know, uh, 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 Lane Meyer becomes suicidal after his girlfriend breaks up, uh, breaks up with him shortly before Christmas. So there is the, your Christmas setting for your non-Christmas movie. Again, lots of snow skiing. So we've got that going on from, uh, uh, you know, from Honor Majesty's Secret Service to Better Off Dead. So that's fun. That could be a fun uh, wintry Christmas skiing double feature for everybody. Um Although there's not much green screen skiing in Better Off Dead. <laughs> uh, or dummies on skis. There's one scene where there's a guy in in Honor um, uh, Majesty's Secret Service. I forget if it's Bond or somebody else where it's a dummy and they're just like go they're like going straight down off this drop off. It's crazy. But um but yeah, there it, but it totally looks like a dummy on skis. Uh, but yeah, so Michelle, this is the I'm sure this is one of your favorites from the 80s. I, I do love it, and not to not not to forget the wonderful Japanese uh, drag racing uh, duo that learned to speak by listening to Howard Cosell. Oh they yeah, to speak yeah. English by listening to Howard <laughs> Cosell, so they have really bad Howard Cosell voices. <laughs> Truly, a sight to behold. Yeah. So, uh, Joe, have you seen this one? No, I have not. Yeah, it's it's so funny. It's so stupid and funny. It, it's it's a it's really good. Um, I, I would check it out. Check it out. Uh, Miles, this one uh, familiar to you at all? I think I may have watched it, but it's been so long. I honestly have no memory. I kind Michelle mentioning the Howard Cosell accent. Uh, maybe I saw clips. Mm, There's yeah. tweaks of memory, but honestly, I got nothing. I got. I don't even know the plot. I don't. I got nothing. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny. Like there's he he he's kind of a reluctant, uh, reluctantly trying to kill himself throughout the film. And, but people like kind of, uh, end up, it's, it's like slapstick, you know, like he has a noose around his neck and somebody, his mother opens the door and knocks him off the steps, you know, after he's like reconsidering hanging himself Uh. (laughs) and his friend pushes him into a garbage truck, you know, by by patting him on the back, you know, cause he's standing on a bridge, like he's going to end it all. Uh, and then and, of course, and the scene where he wants mm-hmm. to immolate himself to do the Buddhist, you know, oh yeah, put, put yourself on fire, and the woman takes his mason jar full of gasoline and puts, you know, drinks it while smoking, and then oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. As serious a subject as suicide is, I do have a memory of a, a movie of uh, some someone attempting suicide legitimately. It was called Short Time with Dabney Coleman. That was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So you trip, tri- uh, triggered Siri. Um, so, uh, but no, yeah. Suicide is a serious subject. No laughing matter. Uh, but uh, this is this movie is is quite entertaining. Um, uh, let me see. I think I'm going to skip the next one. I'll just mention it uh, because I have two movies from Terry Gilliam. 
uh, that are set around Christmas. And I know I've probably played this on the show before. Uh, Brazil from 1985. Uh, great movie. Uh, you know, beautiful film. Uh, if you've never seen it, you have to see it. It's a really great kind of um, uh, dystopian dark comedy. Great performances by Robert De Niro. And of course, um, um, forgetting his name all of a sudden, uh, which I should be ashamed of. Um, uh, the guy who was the high sparrow in, um, mm, let me see. I got it right here. Starring Jonathan Price, Robert De Niro, Catherine Hellman, Ian Holm, Bob Hoskins, Michael Palin, Ian Richardson, Peter Vaughn, and Kim Greist. Yeah, highly recommend this movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Set during Christmas. The other one, which I forgot about, was set during Christmas. A little more recent. Uh, Ten years after Brazil, 12 Monkeys from 1995. You're a very good observer, Cole. We have a very advanced program, something very different. An opportunity to reduce your sentence considerably. And possibly play an important role in returning the human race to the surface of the Earth. No prints, no warrants. But he took on five cops like he was destined to the eyeballs. What year is this? What year do you think it is? 1996. That's the future, James. Do you think you're living in the future? I'm simply trying to gather information to help the people in the present trace the path of the virus. We're not in the present now. This is a place for crazy people. I'm not saying you're not mentally ill, Oliver. All I know you're <laughs> crazy as a loon. The army of the 12 monkeys, they're the ones that spread the virus. Monkeys? You've been living in a meticulously constructed fantasy world, and that world is starting to disintegrate. You haven't become addicted to that dying world? No, sir. He needs help. You think I'm crazy when people start dying next month? I don't belong here. You're here because of the system. I know some things that you don't know. Yes, my son. You sent me to the wrong year. You're certain of that? Science ain't an exact science. You had a bullet from World War One in your leg, James. How did it get there? I don't know. You're a trained psychiatrist. You know the difference between what's real and what's not. You said that I had delusions. You said you could explain. I'm trying to. I want the future to be unknown. I can help you. Get you out. We're all monkeys. The thing mutates, we live underground! They're watching you. I just want to do my part to get us back on top in charge of the planet. Great movie, uh, great concept based on an early uh, a, a film that had come out earlier, which was a French film, I believe. I don't remember the name off, off the top of my head, uh, but th it was based on a short film that was composed of nothing but still black and white pictures, but it was the same basic plot. Terry Gilliam took that and expanded it in his, the most Gilliam way possible. Uh, you know, uh, this... This movie feels like it, it's it's kind of um, 
uh, a logical follow-up, honestly, to Brazil 10 years later. It, you know, a lot of very, you know, dystopian future things. You know, it, it, it feels very much like it could be part of the same world of Brazil. And uh, interesting, you know, time travel elements. You know, I would say it's it's one of the more fascinating um, ways time travel has been portrayed on the screen. Uh, and you know, you've got a bullet in your leg from world war one. How did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, just moments like that are, are like, just, wow, that's huge. I love it. So, uh, uh, miles, is this one that you've seen? Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. It, it, but put it on your list. Cause you're going to love this movie. Great cast too. Uh, uh, it, it's got Brad Pitt and, uh, Bruce Willis in one of Bruce Willis's better roles, um, uh, and uh, but although Terry Gilliam kind of hated him on set because he was kind of an asshole, <laughs> uh, I watched the, the the documentary on my copy of this uh, back when they used to put all kinds of uh, loaded features on DVDs the way it should be. Uh, Joe, is this one you've seen? No, again, I am. In the dark. Well, this is a great Christmas, a non-Christmas Christmas movie recommendation for you. And uh, you can take it to the bank or not. Michelle, you've probably seen this, right? Yes, I have. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very um, good. I also watched a little bit of the remake that they did for a TV series. Yeah. Did not yeah. enjoy the TV series as much as I enjoyed nah, the movie. I, I, didn't, I didn't see any value in trying to uh, re revamp it. Um, you know, uh, the movie stands on its own. Um, but, uh, yeah, so here's another one for any of our superhero movie fans. Uh, we got two. We got a double shot for you. We'll try and get through real quick. Iron Man 3. I'm Tony Stark. I build neat stuff. I got a great girl. And occasionally, save the world. So why can't I sleep? You elected me on a single platform. I will defend this country at all costs. The Mandarin must be stopped. You don't know who I am. You'll never see me coming. here 
good old-fashioned revenge. We do need backup. That's your department. Now, it's kind of sad they didn't put the line in the trailer, but uh, when all the suits of uh, the remote controlled suits of armor show up in the climax of the film, um, uh, uh, Tony Stark looks at Rhodey and says, Merry Christmas, buddy. Um, so, you know, it is a Christmas movie. Uh, what and it, you know what better time of year to rewatch this because now that Shang Chi is available on Disney Plus, this has a lot of elements that are are feeding into the the what what's going on in Shang Chi right in the Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, although this was kind of a you know uh, there's a big controversy about this movie about the Mandarin wasn't really the Mandarin and a lot of people got their their panties in a bunch over that but uh they cleaned it up a little bit and now the you know the real Mandarin is in Shang-Chi and then there's the the was it the, the man who would be king there's a short film that they did that came after Iron Man 2 something like that or the king I, I I can't remember what it's called but it's on it's on Disney Plus if you have that um and uh but yeah great movie set during christmas thank you michelle for all the wonderful uh shots of it uh being set during christmas and uh that's that's great so and um uh but yeah uh, so don't have a lot of time to discuss that and i figure if we're going to represent uh a marvel movie um well then let's do a dc movie too and here's shazam from 2019 also set during christmas Daily bats. I choose you as champion. Say my name so my powers will become yours. Shazam. Wait for real. Say the key! Say my name. Right. What are your superpowers? Superpowers, dude. I don't even know how to pee in this thing. <laughs> this is proof of authenticity. Super strength. Electricity manipulation. Hyper speed. I'd like to purchase some of your finest beer, please. Sparkle fingers. No, it's not. It's not my. That's not my name. Chosen one. Oh, you're like a bad guy, right? You literally did the opposite of what a superhero is supposed to do. You're him. You're the hero. You're welcome for not getting wrong. I'm Batman. Get him back in. How old are you? Basically, fifteen. Electrocuted a bus and almost killed these people. And then I caught it! <laughs> and leave tall buildings in a single bound.
And if you ask me, this is the perfect kind of superhero uh, movie because it is magic-based. It's wish-fulfillment kind of stuff. So it's the perfect movie to set around Christmas. Uh, you know, family, too, you know, because the in, in, in an unorthodox family of adopted kids or foster kids. Um, and, uh, you know, and hell, the whole team of the Shazam family all looked like they could be hanging on a Christmas tree, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, but no, really great fun movie. It's, it's like, if you, if you like Tom Hanks and big and you know, you want a superhero movie that doesn't have a ton of baggage, this is good for you too, because it is connected to the other DC movies, but it stands on its own. So I highly recommend it. So oh, this does sound good. I might actually have to watch it. Yeah. I it's, can. I've, I've seen it. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. It's cool. very good. So yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, and uh, you know, it's nice that DC started really trying to put humor on a lot of their movies now too. So yeah, I, I like the uh, American hero aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, I've been a huge fan of Captain Marvel slash Shazam since I was a little kid. I was like, who is this guy who looks like Superman but's magic? This is awesome, you know. And uh, and so and so Zach Levi has my stamp of approval as uh, Captain Marvel too. I'm sorry, Shazam. They can't call him Captain Marvel because Marvel bought the name. <laughs> so, and they released their own <laughs> Captain Marvel movie. So, uh, with Princess Sparklefist instead of uh, Captain Sparklefingers. <laughs> so, um, uh, but anyway, all right. So we, we uh, I'm, I'm running along. We're going to take a short break. We're, uh, all of our segments are going to be slightly askew because we're going to do all Twilight Zone for the end of the show. But we probably don't need a full hour for it, so we're just going to take as much time as everybody needs for their individual segments and uh, then get to the Twilight Zone. So yeah, there you go. Check it out. Honor, Majesty, Secret Service, Better Off Dead, Brazil, 12 Monkeys, Iron Man, Shazam, I'm sorry, Iron Man 3, Shazam. Uh, there you go. Those are all non-Christmas Christmas movies. And coming up for a short break, we will play uh, the Hairwolf classic, All I Got for Christmas Was a Song Stuck in My Head. Um, and we'll be right back after this. We will return to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer after these messages.
We now return to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh, different show. Uh, you know, the flossing Shazam gif went surprisingly well with that song. <laughs> so, I, I uh, appreciate that. Uh, anyway, yeah, welcome. The dancing, yep. Yeah, so <laughs> it, was, it, was in, it was perfectly uh, in sync with the beat when I was listening. Um, okay, so welcome back, Michelle, uh, our, our GIF uh, uh, queen. Thank you for that. You are most welcome. And Miles, uh, our World War II buff. Welcome back to you, sir. Yes, yes, yes. Hello. All right. And Joe Santorsa, last but not least, uh, let's go ahead and uh, get to uh, some uh, who, who you want to talk about tonight. One of the colors of Christmas, well, red. Red. <laughs> Yeah. Red, not red nosed reindeers. No, red fox. No. Oh yeah, different different animal entirely. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, I had a great time going through some of his stuff. And uh, uh, what I concentrated on was uh, was an HBO special he did where he first brought to television his actual uh, stand up routine, mm-hmm. the real the real thing, <laughs> and it's a. Uh, it's a joy, <laughs> and oh it was a joy to have to bounce around and edit some of the stuff. But uh, so let's let's just uh, quickly go through. I, I thought you know instead of Wikipedia or whatever, I found his um, I found his his obituary in the um, Los Angeles Times. Okay, <clears throat> and I want to just read a segment of that, and it, it really. Uh, sums up his life uh it went the scraggly faced entertainer was born john elroy sanford in st louis missouri when he was four his father deserted the family leaving the boy his older brother fred jr and his mother penniless by the way fred is who he named the character fred sanford on okay as a boy he was the rascal he later portrayed on stage and TV, attracting trouble at an early age. He was once expelled from school for throwing a book back at a teacher who had thrown it at him, which I don't blame him. He quit high school after one year to form a wash tub band with two friends, Lamont Owsley and Steve Trimmel. Ah. 1939. Huh? I said, ah. Yes. In 1939, Fox and Company waited wanting to hit the big time ran away from home the trio called itself the bonbons and performed on the new york city street corners and in subways until they split up during world war ii in those years fox says major concern was survival he worked out as a busboy pushing carts in garment district for real for meal money while sleeping on a rooftop during this period fox met befriended Malcolm Little, who, like him, had red hair. John Sanford became Chicago Red. And Little became Detroit Red to avoid confusion at the Harlem restaurant where they worked. Chicago Red took his imagination one step further, adding an extra D to the Red and changing his last name to Fox with a double X. Because I was a foxy dresser, he would say years later. (laughs) Little, who later changed his name to Malcolm X and went on to become the black Muslim leader. Oh, my Lord. 
remembered Fox in his autobiography as the funniest dishwasher on this earth. Wow. That is, <laughs> that's something. Holy smokes. Interesting. Yes. Very much so. Wow. Yes. So there you have, a, I thought it was the greatest summary was, was actually the obit <laughs> that was in the, the no he kidding. died uh, in 1991 of a heart attack at age 68. Yeah, I think he and we, he, he was on the set of the the TV show he was working on. Yes, he had a brand new show uh and yes, he was making everybody laugh and he collapsed. And they said the entire cast uh actually went to the hospital with him because they loved him so much. Yeah, I think it's ironic kind of a heart attack, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming, Elizabeth. I think some people thought. So, I think some. I heard that some people thought he was kidding because that was his shtick for yes. so long. Yes, uh, they didn't take him seriously until they realized and called an ambulance. And yeah, it was. Yeah, that 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 is true. Wow. I think I, I I think the best way to get into Red Fox is to let Red Fox be Red Fox. The uh, the 1978's HBO special was the first time that he brought his body stand-up to television. Mm-hmm. And it, it was quite a... Some of it didn't age well, <laughs> but um, for the most part, a comedic genius. And uh, clip one that we'll play was the intro to the HBO series, but I think it summarizes uh, the kind of life that Red Fox had in his rise to fame. The success of Sanford and Son made Red Fox a star overnight, a face and a voice a nation now knew. But for more than 30 years before that, Red played backcountry juke joints, keeping company with the likes of Bessie Smith, Big Bill Brunzi, Ma Rainey, and the Will Maston Trio, starring Sammy Davis Jr. Payment was often a few beers and a place to change clothes. Next came the stages of black theaters, on the south side of Chicago, the east end of Los Angeles, and up in Harlem in New York. The Apollo, the Royal, the Regal. The Chitlin Circuit was the only place black performers worked. Took me to 1951, I think it was, 1952, before I ever worked in a white club. And that was at Basin Street uh, East in New York. And I remember the opening night, uh, uh, Steve, uh, Steve and Eating uh, were there, and I tried to clean my act up for New York and for uh, big-time nightclub in New York. I tried to clean my act up, and it was slowly going down the drain. And so uh, Steve and Eating said, and when I came off, I said, Foss, do your real show that you're known for while you're here, and, and uh, just be you. So I did, and the next, next show... It was unbelievable. I mean, I almost realized a standing ovation because people were standing up and they weren't leaving. Red Fox's career has come a long way from those early days, but his nightclub act, performed almost every weekend in Las Vegas, is much the same as it was on the Chitlin circuit. And yet, despite nationwide and network appearances, Red's ribald act has never been seen on television. I think this kind of show, that the kind of show that I do is good for television as long as it's uh, in where you can uh, tune in if you like or turn off if you like or pay if you want or don't watch it if you don't want to see it. You know, because 
People know what I do, and I've been doing it so many years, it's nothing new. The following home box office on location presents the uncensored act of an extraordinary comedian, a unique performer who has never resisted on stage or off to speak the lines, the words, that will create laughter. For as far as um, clean and what people term dirty, I consider normal because most people use the type of words I use through the day, but I just don't get up until night, so that's when I use them. And it makes a payday for me. <laughs> and so the best thing to do right now is to just go into some of that uh, that HBO special because some of his best lines were in that. Some of them I I didn't pick because I don't think we want to do them on, t- on the, on the yeah, show there's, tonight. The, the, there was even some Sanford and Son stuff that I was like, oh, yeah, we're not playing that on the show. Yeah, uh, there was so. some stuff. and uh, <laughs> But anyway, uh, clip two and three you could play back-to-back because uh, it was the open – one of the one of the best routines he did on that show. All it's right. about uh, shit. <laughs> well, shit we shall listen to. The biggest hand I've ever seen in my life. Thank you for being here. And, uh, hope you've seen me before. If not, you're in for a thrill. <laughs> uh, this might sound like egomania, but I swear to God and three other white men, you're going to enjoy me. <laughs> you see, Ooh, I talk about sex mostly. That's why people say I'm dirty, I'm blue, I'm gross, vulgar. Dirty old man. Well, let me tell you folks, that's a lot of shit. (laughs) I'm honest. Everyone here said shit. If you've never said shit before, meet me after the show and let me slam your hand in my car door. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, and there's clip three. Oh, God. Yeah. These are normal reactions. Everyone grown. You know, I say fucking shit only for one reason. People do. <laughs> if you've never fucked shit. <laughs> if you've never shit, fuck. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Uh, you know, I was thinking I was thinking when I was doing these clips, he was on what they call the Chitlin circuit, you know, mm-hmm. all the uh the the black the great black theaters uh that are now legends. Yeah. Uh he was doing a lot of the stuff that Lenny Bruce was getting arrested for. Yeah. But nobody but the police never cared. You know? I guess they only cared about the what they considered the morals of white people. <laughs> they, they didn't care what was going on in black theaters. You know? uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, because you know. he was doing this stuff, you, you know, when Lenny Bruce was doing the same stuff, and and he was uh, quite quite successful at it. Yeah. Anyway, um, he he also, I, I guess, for people who have been drunk before, have had moments and. Uh, in clip four, he uh, he describes one of his moments. Oh boy! Let's pause here a moment. We we'll drink a toast to human beings around the world, and what makes them laugh? 
face is shit. Water. Did you ever get drunk and go home and sit on the toilet and throw up in the face bowl? <laughs> hey, you thought no one knew, did you? I've been drunk in that. I sat in the face bowl and threw up in the toilet. <laughs> no kidding, I came back a half hour later to put some cold water on my forehead. And I reached down in the face bowl. I... I said, God damn, I don't remember eating that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, when did i have corn <laughs> corn uh, corn yeah and if you if you saw this on if you ever get a chance to look at at this on youtube the whole thing's on youtube uh <laughs> some of the faces on some of the people when he said he reached in the wall <laughs> we're we're priceless I um bet. i bet uh, Cliff Five is going to play right into Miles' uh, thing because he, he talks about being a, a World War II veteran and uh, his experience in battle. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> it's my fifth pack today. It's my business. Got to leave you with something. A friend of mine quit smoking, got killed by a tobacco truck. <laughs> Ran over its clean lungs. <laughs> like me, I'm a war veteran. I was there. Were you in service? I was a hero. I didn't want to mention it, but you forced it out of me. <laughs> I was a hero. Who do you think they named the foxhole after Hoover? <laughs> I was there. I backed up so far in one battle, I bumped into a general. He said, why are you running? I said, I'm running because I cannot fly, you asshole. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Very good. I, when, when I heard that clip, I was thinking of Miles and, and the Patton thing. <laughs> and I was thinking, if that was Patton, he would have got his. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and the last one uh, is one of our favorite subjects, Sharts. Now I'm wondering, did he coin the phrase "shard"? Wait, did he say? It? I don't think he said it in this. Oh, oh, he didn't. Oh, I didn't listen to it, so it's just about. No, shards. no, no, no. So, he didn't. No, I don't. Okay, think well, let's find. Let's let's let's. He describes it. a shard. Oh, very <laughs> good. Another thing I don't like. I don't give a goddamn if old people don't enjoy me because you're not gonna be fans long anyway. <laughs> <laughs> It's a little kid when was in school, and the teacher asked all the kids in school. She said, I want you kids to give me a sentence using the word definitely. So a little girl said, teacher, the sky is definitely blue. She said, no, no, Marianne. She said, when storm clouds fill the sky, it's not definitely blue. She said, I don't know, little girl said, she said, teacher, the grass is definitely green. She said, no, Joan, when the sun shines down hot on the grass, it's brown, so it's not definitely green. So a little boy stood up and said, teacher, uh, can I say something for teacher? She said, yes, Billy, what is it? He said, teacher, uh, when, uh, when, said, when, you, when you break wind, does it have a lump in it? 
He said, no, Billy. He said, well, I have definitely shit. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> and the shark has been invented. <laughs> is, there, is there a lump in it? <laughs> is there a lump in it? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah, he he was he was great, and and like we've talked about uh, Lenny Bruce and Chevy Chase and all these these guys over the years, but uh, I think Red Fox was one of the most underrated, under the radar kind of guys until Sanford and Son, you know. Oh yeah, and like they described at the beginning of the HBO, you know, uh, special, it was like he was on what they called the Chitlin Circuit. He was in all the black theaters in Harlem and in, in East Los Angeles, you know, and, 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 you know, doing this when it was all, you know, be, being, uh, uh, no one knew about him. And then mm -hmm. he burst on the scene with Sanford and son and everybody, wow, what a, what a talent. Yeah. And it from poverty to, uh, to, uh, fame, uh, and back to poverty again, he went, but, uh, he was died when he was just about to uh, uh, revive his career with a new yeah. uh, TV series. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Royal oh, and, Family. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Royal Family. Uh, to switch gears here, another. Oh, birthday hang on, was hang on one second. We can't sure. switch gears before I until I this. There you go. Okay, now you can. Did, uh, did that have a lump? I, I think it did. Um, I think it did. <laughs> Ted Knight was another uh, birthday we were we were looking at uh, this week, and um, unfortunately, when I was looking at Ted Knight, there was not a lot of a lot of his stuff. You had to see what was going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. You know, I went through uh, Caddyshack, and a, and I went through uh, you know a lot of the uh, uh, Mary Tyler Moore show cuts, and they were hilarious, but. What he was saying wasn't funny. It was was going on behind him or around him. Yeah, his reactions, uh, his physicality, he, all that. Right. But there was one one of my favorite episodes, and I don't think if you ha if you were a fan of the Mary Tyler Moore show, it's probably the my favorite of of, of all the shows. And it was about Chuckles the Clown, who died. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that, Miles? Yeah. And the funeral scene and everything. But oh yeah. The scene I, I, I chose to for the, for tonight was was from Chuckles the Clown episode. Uh, it's when they decide that they find out Chuckles who dressed as a peanut and got crushed by a rogue elephant. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Lou Grant comes in all upset because he finds out Chuckles, who was a celebrity on their network, died, got crushed by this elephant, and he tells Ted. He has to make the announcement on the air. And that's clip seven. Leaving 28 people condominiumless. <laughs> Big deal. Now work from one of our sponsors. What's the matter with him? Oh, he's still angry over Chuckles leading the circus parade today instead of him. Oh. And I'll tell you something more, I don't blame him. Oh, come on, Mary. You're going to be reasonable now, aren't you? You're going to be fair and look at both sides of things and see Ted's point of view. I mean it, Mer. Do you know how close Ted came to quitting his job over this? Not close enough. <laughs> 
Oh, my. Oh, dear. Mr. Grant? Oh, Lord. Mr. Grant! Something terrible has happened. What is it, Lou? Someone we all know is dead. What? Hmm? Who? No, I won't tell you about it now. I don't want to upset you. Mr. Grant! Where's Ted? I gotta tell He's Ted. He's on the air. Well, what happened, Lou? Who died? Would you tell us? Chuckles. Chuckles the clown is dead. It was a freak accident. He went to the parade dressed as Peter Peanut. <laughs> and a rogue elephant tried to show him. <laughs> I gotta get this on the air. Before you start working on the formal obituary. Chuckles' real name was George. His wife's name is Louise. The elephant's name is Jocko. <laughs> we'll be back right after this commercial. Ted, listen very closely. Chuckles the clown was just killed. He was dressed as a peanut and an elephant crushed him. Stop trying to cheer me up, Lou. <laughs> that's funny, but that's in bad taste. Ted! It's not a joke! You mean it? Yes! Good Lord. All right, now listen. Murray is working on a formal obituary for tomorrow. You go on now and you'll just have to ad-lib something. Well, well, I say I hardly know the man. Well, sure you did. You knew him. You were on his show. Well, it's hard to know a man is chasing you around with a rubber chicken. <laughs> Ted! Just say something short and simple and warm. You can do it. We're counting on you. Don't worry, I won't let you know. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, sad news. One of our most beloved entertainers and close personal friend of mine is dead. Chuckles the Clown died today from... <laughs> from, uh... He died a broken man. <laughs> Chuckles uh, leaves a wife. At least I assume he was married. He didn't seem like the other kind. <laughs> I, I don't know his age, but I guess he was probably in his early 60s. It's kind of hard to judge a guy's face, especially when he's wearing big lips and a light bulb for a minute. <laughs> but he had his whole life in front of him. Except for the 60-some-odd years he already lived. <laughs> I remember Chuckles used to recite a poem at the end of each program was called the credo of a clown. I'd like to offer it now in his memory. <laughs> a little song, a little dance, a little seltzer down your pants. <laughs> That's what it's all about, folks. That's what he stood for. That's what gave his life meaning. <laughs> Chuckles like to make people laugh. You know what I like to think? I like to think that somewhere up there tonight, in his honor, the choir of angels is sitting on whoopee cushions. <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> that whole episode is worth watching if you have even if you're not a fan of mary tyler marshall that episode is one of the funniest episodes of comedy on television yeah in, in i know days, i've all seen the it days of yeah i know and, i've seen uh, it we used to watch that every every week when i was a kid and there was a scene preceding that one where uh He's in Mary's office uh, apartment, and he's complaining he's going to quit because he didn't get to lead the, be the grand marshal. And Mary says, "Well, 
you know, if it makes you feel better, I, I felt you should have been the gra- Grand Marshal. And he turns and he says, a clown, a clown leading the Grand Marshal. He says, this may sound bad, but I hope they laugh at him. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Uh, so, so that was right. uh, Ted Knight and, uh, and and Red Fox and enjoy and watch that that episode that watch that uh, 78 HBO special without the cuts <laughs> and watch a little song, a little dance, a little seltzer. There you go. Red and Ted segment. I appreciate it. Yeah, all very right. nice. Very funny. So, uh, well, all right. On that note, we do need to go to the break. And when we come back, Miles is going to have a story uh, handpicked, uh, especially for our good friend Adam Hebert, who just had a birthday recently. So hang tight, and we'll be right back right after this. Division in the uh, armed uh, U.S. Uh, armed forces, along with uh, those like the 82nd uh, Airborne and the Third uh, Army, and so forth. It is. It has an eagle on a uh, on a patch uh, for its symbol, its mascot um, that they wear on their sleeves, which is very appropriate for a uh, a unit that is uh, dropped by paratroopers, uh, you know, behind enemy lines and whatnot. But the 101st first came into existence on the 2nd of November 1918 in uh, Camp Shelby of Mississippi. And it was uh, constituted on the uh, July 23rd of the following year, which um, I think constituted means, I mean, I guess maybe equipped or mustered or, you know, brought into a, uh, a, 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 I guess, ready-to-fight status, if you will. And then, uh, uh, nine days later, uh, World War One ended, and that's the end of the uh, the hundred 
1st Division, and it was demobilized on the 11th of December of uh, <laughs> 1918. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that was that, and then uh, July um, on July 30th of 1942, two airborne divisions were ordered into activation, one being the 82nd and the other being the 101st. So, the 101st was, uh, first went into action on D-Day, um, when the Allies stormed the beaches of Normandy to, uh, liberate France and form a beachhead. And the 101st dropped, um, at like, just after midnight and like 1 a.m. into, um, four zones uh, they had a, they were divided up that they had a multiple objectives. Some objectives were to take bridges, some were to attack uh, artillery, um, a German artillery that would fire that could fire on the beaches. Others were um, command centers of the Germans and things like that. So they uh, the thing is as as um, you know, uh, under the circumstances, Things didn't go too well, and it's not surprising because back in those days, it's not like you know when we think of um, um, paratroopers of modern times. I mean, we're, we see the movies of people skydiving down and with with uh, parachutes that they can guide themselves down. Nope, that is not what World War Two was like. World War Two was you. The moment you left the plane, the ripcord was attached to the plane because they mm -hmm. didn't trust the trooper to pull his own ripcord, and you were dropped down on a big, white, fluffy thing, and you just dropped to the ground. Anyway, there there was a lot of scattering, but the 101st did manage to accomplish some of its objectives and, and um, get, get some of their uh, things done. So D-Day was – they got some of it done, but, you know, they, they did what they could. So after that. We proceed on to something called Operation Market Garden, and that was led by uh, someone, um, Martha, uh, Major General Matthew Ridgway. But it was under the overall command of, I believe, uh, Bernard Montgomery. And Montgomery, um, you may remember me mentioning on the Patton segment that I did, uh -huh. being the British commander that Patton was um, not too pleased with. Anyway, so the Operation Market Garden uh, was basically an unsuccessful operation to go and secure bridges. It initially met with some success, but the Germans managed to start blowing bridges as the American forces were landing more troops and applying more pressure. And in order to slow the Allied advance, the Germans did succeed in blowing some bridges which the 101st did try to secure, but ultimately failed. And so um, this is where the, a Bailey Bridge was brought into action. The Bailey Bridge is like a quickly assembled uh, mechanical uh, uh, steel scaffolding. It's about 12 feet wide, if, I, if uh, memory serves, and, it, and they just floated across on pontoons. Basically, it's a steel structure about 10 in 10 foot segments, and it's each segment is big enough for six men to carry. And so they would assemble the bridge, push it, start pushing it into the river with the pontoons floating it, 
and then they'd assemble the next section, attach it to it, and it would just extend the bridge and keep on going until they reached the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a it's an interesting uh, you know thing that was nece- necessary to cross rivers as because the Germans were very much uh, pretty much successful in blowing bridges to slow the American advance, uh, the Allied advance as they uh, uh, pushed through France, Netherlands, and and Germany. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, that was the Operation Market Garden. It was it was what they what they could do, and that uh, then leads us to the Battle of the Bulge. And I did touch on the ba- definitely touched on the Battle of the Bulge uh, with, with in my patent story. So what the 101st uh, did. So the Ardennes Offensive. This is where the Germans la- launched their their last major offensive against the Allies. Um, it was really doomed to fail. Uh, there's there's movies of the Battle of the Bulge, which are a great watch. Um, it it didn't have a, a, a good chance of success. It did have an initial success in pushing against the Americans, which were pretty much unprepared. And uh, the 101st was routed towards a town called Baston. And the 82nd was taking up a position north of Baston to uh, block uh, some um, tank destroyer battalions of the uh, Wehrmacht. So the German offensive surrounds Baston, and now the 101st is trapped inside this town, and they are doing their best to hold off uh, Germans and, you know, snipe. And the Germans do mount multiple offenses into to try and crush the defenses, but the 101st holds. Mm-hmm. And being surrounded um, in military terms is bad. I, I mean, it's sure. as bad as it gets. When you are cut off from supplies, your ammunition's running low, your food is running low. In the early stages of this uh, encirclement, the eighty, the uh, 101st lost its medical supplies and medical troops. That's bad. Yeah, <laughs> so you can just bad. imagine, I mean, as, you know, injuries are happening and you, you're unable to treat. So the only way to supply the 101st that was entrapped by the Germans was by C-17, was it C-47 aircraft. And it's dropping mostly ammunition. So, you know, you, your, your men are getting hungry and holding out against, you know, the, the Germans as the Germans are trying and trying to try and break the defenses. But uh, to the credit of the 101st, they held. Now, it is, there's a scene in the movie, and I'm going to bring it up, and this is possibly one of the more famous moments of the 101st um, by, by most laymen. So the general of the German forces, Heinrich Ludwigs, sent in some German officers or troops under the white flag of truce. And basically, it was a request to the defenders of Beston to surrender. And the the 101st at that time was had the acting commander of uh, General Anthony McCulloch. 
and he was a bit frustrated, and he responded, nuts, which is a very famous scene in the, uh, in the, in the Battle of the Bulge movie. Okay. And after, and then he turned his attention to other pressing matters, uh, by, I guess, basically ignoring the German soldiers that are standing there waiting for his reply. And his officer, his staff, reminds him that he should actually respond. And he, and then an officer, one of his lieutenant colonels, said, you know, basically your initial reply would be tough to beat. And so McAuliffe officially wrote on the German paper, nuts in capital letters with an exclamation point. <laughs> and that reply had to be explained to the Germans and to non-American allies present. <laughs> But it's a it's a pretty famous moment of the hundred and first, basically uh, telling the Germans, yeah, no, we're not surrendering. If I if memory serves in the movie, um, I, I I think there was uh, the Germans showing up, offering for surrender, and then the uh, an American soldier replying back, I'm sorry, we're not able to accept your surrender right now. Or maybe it was a different movie. But anyway, that 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 is a it's a fond it's a fond memory I have because growing up I did watch quite a few uh, movies of uh, World War Two and, and what have you, which probably explains a great deal of my uh, my affinity for it. Yeah. So, um, the Germans um, had other things to go deal with, and so they left. Two panzer divisions left and moved on at, uh, past Besson and left one uh, panzer gr- uh, grenadier regiment um, with the assistance of some other, what the Volks grenadier division? No idea. Probably a light vehicle unit. To capture Besson. That's all. That's all that the Germans left behind. It obviously wasn't enough, but it was enough to keep the, the American units surrounded and unable to effectively, you know, strike out because, you know, as they were running out of supplies and so mm-hmm. forth. So the Germans just gave up. They're like, screw it. We've got we've got to push the bulge. We've got to get to the, you know, sure, we, we can't waste our time anymore on these Americans. Yeah. And, um, oh, there's a major attack that happened on Christmas Day, and uh, the, the Germans were also uh, facing exhaustion. At this point in the war, things the, the Germans were in really bad shape. Yeah, and so the uh, the anyway the hundred and first again repelled the attack, and then on the next day on December twenty sixth, is when General Patton arrived with the third army, and broke through into Bastogne, and uh, ended the siege. Nice. And uh, the hundred and first division earned the nickname the battered bastards of the bastion of Bastogne. Uh, Adam says that Fort Campbell has a Baston um, Avenue. Oh, okay. Ah. So. Yeah, no, Baston. It's the French. It's the French uh, spelling, Adam. Um, yeah, no, not Boston. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't have that bad of a French accent, do I? It's Baston. <laughs> no, I, I, I was getting what you were saying. So. Okay. Um, um right so the uh, so they the 101st expected to be relieved uh after their you know being pretty much surrounded and driven into the ground in, at the Bastogne but they were pretty much given orders to to resume the offensive 
<laughs> so they pressed on with what they had. And uh, they pushed into, um, I guess, with the, you know, Patton's Third Army definitely blazing a trail. They pushed on, and they were um, key in liberating um, some of the camps in the uh, Dachau uh, concentration camp um, circuit, uh, the something called the Cochrane Complex, which, yeah, 11 subcamps of the Dachau concentration uh, thing. And, uh, yeah, so that had to be a, a absolute horror show. They found 500 dead inmates, and they've ordered the local townspeople to bury the dead. So that, that you know, yeah, concentration camp, man, that's just the worst. Oh, God. Look, I, I can't, I, I just, I just, you know, the, the, I, I have memories. Of, I'm not going to post any of them, you know, own, uh, you know, pictures of, uh, you know, people half-starved. You know, with their ribs showing through that, all that stuff. I do have something I intend to share. Uh, Foxfire, Foxfire says uh, her dad's best friend was in the platoon that liberated the conductor's Dachau camp. Oh, okay. Very cool. Adam said it was autocorrect, right. too. He wasn't criticizing you, Adam. <laughs> Aha. All right, so I I just posted in chat the picture of a letter that General McAuliffe sent to his troops, and about four-fifths of the way down, you can see in all caps the, <laughs> the word NUTS ah. as he responded to uh, the German offer for surrender. So um, I guess he needed to, you know, uh, rally his troops up to uh, continue the resistance against the German pushes to try and cause uh, Baston to fall. Sure. But, uh, Baston held. So, um, anyway, that brings pretty much to a close the World War II. And there are, um, oh, one of the things in there that was interesting, there was a all-black 900, there were three artillery battalions, and one of them was all black, the 969th Field Artillery uh, Battalion, and they were commandeered by the 101st while in Baston, and so they each, uh, each of the three had 12 155 millimeter uh, howitzers, that's about six inches, six inch guns, and the ammunition supply was so bad that each gun was limited to being only firing 10 rounds a day. Uh, so that that's how bad it was. But uh, I saw that, and that, that, that piqued my interest. Interesting. Right, so, yeah, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, I know. The, the thing about, um, yeah, I, I know I mentioned, I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned Patton integrating uh, black troops into his forces because he didn't care, even though he had a kind of a, he had some racist bias, but. Sure. Um, if you fought hard, he didn't care. Um, anyway, uh, the 101st is distinguished because it it uses card suits on its helmet to distinguish the different regiments to which it, the, it uh, belonged to it. Uh, the 327th is uh, the clubs, and the uh, 501st is the diamonds, and the four five hundred and second is the hearts, and the five hundred and sixth is the spades. And there's a different symbol. I, the Tory have no idea what that is. Now the spade symbol. 
is depicted in the miniseries The Band of Brothers. I have not watched The Band of Brothers, but um, my interest in it is now peaking up, and I may very well start to watch it. Uh, that, that does sound cool to me. I, I am definitely going to give that a look-see. Have, I have to dedicate time to it. It's just that. Uh, they saw action in the Vietnam War. I don't see anything about them having action in the Korean uh, engagement, but they definitely had action in the Vietnam War. Now, here's the thing. The 101st uh, was called the Chicken Men by the North Vietnamese mm -hmm. because of the insignia. Um, I'm pretty sure that it is simply just a misunderstanding of the eagle head being for being a chicken. And but it is said that the enemy commanders of the North Vietnamese were said to have warned their men to avoid fighting the chicken men at all costs because they were sure to lose any engagement with them. So that's some high praise from the enemy. <laughs> if you see if you see a man with a chicken on his sleeve, do not fight him. <laughs> Very nice. That, that's it. That is that is amusing. Um, now, there was a incident, I think it's worth mentioning. In 1967, there was a riot in Detroit, and uh, this was a race riot. And the 101st, along with elements of the 82nd, were deployed inside American territory to quell the uprising. Um, of the 44 people that were killed, only one was killed by a uh, federal troop. Everyone else was killed by either police forces or National Guard or what have you. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, it's it's uh, it's just distressing to see uh, that you know American troops uh, unleashed upon uh, its own citizenry. Um, yeah, I mean, I know they're following orders, and uh, you know the situation is bad, but yeah, it's 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 unfortunate. But yeah, so uh, they have other other um, engagements, of course. Uh, the the Gulf War, they they have a engagements and <laughs> Operation Enduring Freedom. Oh uh, boy, I'm pretty sure it was, wasn't that Operation uh, Operation um, Iraqi Liberation, otherwise known as OIL. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very what a faux pas that was. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Not no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Enduring freedom was the Afghanistan war. Iraqi freedom was the other one. Okay. And uh, they have multiple deployments, and I think they are doing a, a um. There, there, there are forty soldiers of the hundred first that are deployed in Somalia, and I think it's it says that it's to present day, for the Somali civil war. So I guess they're either. Assisting with something. Oh, the Somalis' army's logistics capabilities. Bolstering. All right, I guess they're there okay. as advisors or something. Or to, to give minor assistance. Okay. So, uh, I see my time. Uh, I, I killed it. Yay! So, yeah. there you go. Lots of honors filled. But, uh, yeah, 101st. Very distinguished uh, career. And, um, you know, thank you for your service. And uh, there you go. That's the 101st Airborne Division. Very cool. Thank you for that. So, um, all right. Well, uh, we're going to have a slightly unorthodox uh, break coming up right now. I've picked out 
uh, a couple uh, Christmas favorites. <laughs> One Christmas, fa no Christmas favorites. <laughs> yes, that's right. Inspired by uh, Red the Red Fox uh, uh, short story, we have the flatulent version of Jingle Bells for everyone. Uh, oh boy. Followed by uh, the Hairwolf version of Melikiliki Maka. And for Michelle, because you can't play your mean one, Mr. Grinch, how about another song sung by Thurl Ravenscroft? Beer Bottle of Beer. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so the voice of the, the you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch, that guy, and Tony the Tiger, uh, he, he used to record albums. Uh, this was AC Doocy. He recorded as AC Doocy Beer Bottle of Beer. And I don't even care if it's not if it's not in the public domain. I think it is, but it's just nobody wants money for this song. There's just nobody. Anyway, we'll be right back. Uh, jingle Bell Farts. Yeah. 
Yelly Kaliki Maka, everybody. I think I'll have me a little drinky winky. Yeah. <laughs> I love that stupid song. <laughs> what do you mean, wait till next year? <laughs> uh, anyway, well, I guess if it's, uh, you know, one minute to midnight on December 31st, I could probably wait till next year. Um, <laughs> but anyway, welcome back to the show. Uh, thank you, Miles, and uh, I'm sure Adam thanks you for uh, for fulfilling his request. Yep, yep, my pleasure. And Joe, of course, thank you for uh, you know we're we're getting all Sanford and Son up in here. We're getting Grady in here, uh, you know. Uh, Don't you know that you alcohol is a lubricant for the devil? Sure do, and I'm just about due for an oil change. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, and Michelle, it is your time to shine as the uh, our, our resident horror guru, uh, and uh, a birthday that we missed uh, over Thanksgiving. Um, go ahead and set that up for us. Okay, yeah, right. Um, we have a Mr. Boris Karloff. Um, he uh, he was um, uh, born William Henry Pratt on November twenty third. In 1887, in England, um, he has a pretty interesting career because he really didn't hit his breakout role until he was in his 40s, and that was when he starred he starred as as the monster in Frankenstein. Um, he did other, you know, he did some like occasional extra work in the in the silent film industry, um, some serials that never that did not survive to the modern age because they've been lost in time. Oh. Uh, but tragedy. Yeah. 
it, it is a shame too. So much of that stuff just 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 went away. But in 1931, he got his big break when he was cast as the monster. Um, and uh, what's really interesting about Boris Karloff is he's not a very tall man. He's of a medium build and everything. The only reason why he looks so big is because of the padding of the costume and the fact he wore these huge, huge platform boots. Yes. To make himself look a lot bigger. Um, Gene, one Simmons, of the bad things- Gene Simmons owes him a lot. Oh, yes. One of the bad <laughs> things about that. About uh, Frankenstein is um, when he did the stunts and he carried the body up uh, the steps to the windmill, um, he ended up hurting his back and that caused him to have at least three major back surgeries throughout his life. Terrible. So he, he, yeah, he suffered for his art there. Um, uh, Hold on a moment. My screen just closed. (laughs) Sorry. Oopsie. Um, but, um, so, yeah, he's known for the, 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 uh, Frankenstein, but one of my other favorite movies that he's in, uh, in the earlier time period was in 19, um, uh, 32. Yeah. The mummy. Yeah. Oh, want me to go ahead and run the trailer? Yes. Eternal punishment for anyone who opens this casket. The mummy. Is it dead or alive? Human or inhuman? You'll know. You'll see. You'll feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end and brings a scream to your lips. There's nothing on Earth like the mummy. You will not remember what I show you now, and yet I shall awaken memories of love and crime and death. Now I know what his horrible plan is. He's going to kill her and make her a living mummy like himself. stuff yeah very very much so um you know he was uh he had a very expressive face and even when he wasn't having a speaking role you could still he still carried carried it over and his voice is just so iconic as well um and that leads us to a short-lived tv series it only lasted one season um it was based on supernatural um, and uh, unusual uh, phenomenon, and he starred in all. He started nine of the ten episodes. I mean, he, well, he acted in nine of the ten episodes. Sometimes playing a starring role, sometimes playing a smaller part inside mm-hmm. it. Plus, he narrated them. And this is a this is a TV show called The Veil. It was in 1958.
Good evening. Tonight, I'm going to tell you another strange and unusual story of the unexplainable which lies behind the veil. All through his history, man has constantly striven to push back the frontiers of knowledge, to discover what lies behind the veil which separates knowledge from ignorance. In my own lifetime, I've seen things come to pass that would be unbelievable to my parents and to my grandparents. Travel through the air, the ability to speak to a friend halfway around the world. Well, if these wonders have occurred in so short a time, just think of what our children and grandchildren will be able to know and understand. Yeah. Happenings that to us defy explanation will be commonplace and ordinary to them. But whether we understand it or not, the event that we depict in tonight's story was very real. Yeah, I mean, they could only imagine the Internet and doing a talk show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it had that, that nice little Twilight Zone feeling to it almost. Mm -hmm. So the, the short little, you know, it's a short little anthology series. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I own the, I own the box DVD set of it. And right. every now and then I'll pull them out just to watch them in the background. Yeah, very cool. So, yeah, I'll have to check that out. I, I've heard of it, but I've never watched a full episode, so I will check it out. Yeah, so, um, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a classic, a, a classic actor. Beautiful, beautifully delivered lines when he, when he, when he has a speaking role. Beautiful facial expressions. Um, and he continued acting, um, and then, uh, in, in a lot of different things. Sometimes he'd star with Christopher Lee. Um, uh, there, you know, uh, he was in The Terror. He was in The Raven with Peter Lorre and Vincent Price. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a little-known movie he was in. Um, it's called The Crimson Cult in 1968. This had Christopher Lee in it as well. Crimson Cult. Hedonists of Horror. The devil is not exactly noted for his sense of humor. A servant of man and the devil. My brother stayed here, didn't he? <laughs> what happened to him? Tell me what happened to him! Dead. A journey into the unknown terrors of the world of black magic. Subconscious mind can play strange, sometimes terrifying tricks. The living bridge between this world and the unknown. Where is the witch? 
No, not really. Even though they said that, um, he actually has uh, four or five movies after that, you know, after that oh, date. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> um, but it's all between 1968 and 1971. His last one was in 1971. Um, he was, you know, big in the movies. Also, um, he uh, was in um, and Old Lace as a theater production. Oh. One of the parts was actually, yeah, so... Um, yeah, um, he also, uh, in a lot of popular movies, I mean, uh, TV shows back then, like I Spy, um, he was in The Wild Wild West, in the, but in that one, I think he, if I remember correctly, he was playing one of his roles that he's known for, where he's pretending to be of Asian descent, mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't come off very well nowadays, no. but. Now, um, but that's he, interesting he you mentioned. He did just, have Asian, his, mm -hmm. uh, 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 Asian lineage. I think his father was Indian or something, or half Indian. Oh, okay. Uh, but it's interesting you bring up the Arsenic and Old Lace, that he worked on a production of that, because in the movie version of Arsenic and Old Lace with Peter Lorre, um, the, the, he, Peter Lorre plays a, pl a plastic surgeon that changed the face of the villain in that movie to resemble Boris Karloff from Frankenstein, yes. <laughs> which is, is that's really kind of meta, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, it's very humorous. I think it, I, I remember somewhere that the part was specifically written that way, you know, for Karloff. So it's kind of cool. Um, so yeah, so that you know that's his that's the butt of his career. But everything, um, him as a voice actor. Now, it's the season. It's time for commercialism out the wazoo. It's Christmas <laughs> time. You know how I feel about the over you know, commercializing of Christmas and the holiday and all that, so. <laughs> um, but he was in a great little Christmas story called How the Grinch Stole Christmas. He narrated it and did the voices for the voice of the Grinch. All right, there we go. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Oh, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. They stand hand in hand. Those fools will start singing. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. You're a mean one. Misery the Grinch. You really are a heel. I must stop Christmas from coming. But how the Grinch got a wonderful, awful idea. Wonderful, awful idea. You know, the only thing that's ever bugged me about this is I don't like how tinny the audio for is in, for his voice in the movie. It's so strange. Yeah, I'm wondering about the recording. No, it's it's not the recording. It's it's I've always noticed that since I was a little kid, you know, because it sounds like it's it's like AM radio almost, you know. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, you're you're not at fault for that. The the audio engineers on the cartoon were. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so, so you basically you know uh, people know the story, the Dr. Seuss uh, story, um, about uh, Christmas and. I'm not really understanding the true meaning behind Christmas and being a bah humbug type character. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he hates most about Christmas is the noise. Oh, yeah. Don't be a Grinch, you Scrooge. I mean, don't be a Scrooge, you Grinch. Oh, no, no, I know. All those school girls and boys will wait bright and early. They'll rush for their toys and then, oh, that noise, oh, the noise, 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 noise. There's one thing I hate. All the noise, 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 noise. It makes you wonder what he hates, right? I don't think he's got it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm not not real clear on this. (laughs) You need to spell it out. Yeah, so then, you you know, you go from that. You go down. He hatches this crazy plan that he's going to go steal all their Christmas stuff before they wake up on Christmas morning, and that will ruin their Christmas. And he'll make things nice and quiet for him, or at least he can hear them crying, and that'll be no- that'll be great to his ears. And so he goes down there, and he starts slinking around the town, stealing the Christmas ornaments, and the presents, and the stockings, and the Christmas tree. And while he's trying to shove a Christmas tree up a chimney, I'd like to see that tried sometime, <laughs> um, <laughs> a, somebody wakes up. As the Grinch took the tree, as he started to shove, he heard a small sound like the coo of a dove. He turned around fast, and he saw a small who, little Cindy Lou who, who was no more than two. She stared at the Grinch and said, Candy Claus, why? Why are you taking our Christmas tree? Why? But you know... That old Grinch was so smart and so slick, he thought up a lie and he thought it up quick. Why, my sweet little tot, the fake Santa Claus lied, there's a light on this tree that that won't light on one side. So I'm taking it home to my workshop, my dear. I'll fix it up there, then I'll bring it back here. What a liar. Yeah, and but the, the, and the animation is kind of fun, too, because you can look at some of the expressions that appear on his face, and they're very well done. Yeah, that's um, like a beautiful marriage, too, between Dr. Seuss and Chuck Jones, you know? Yes, yes. So it just and, and perfectly suited. It took a lot of convincing. Mm-hmm. Chuck For Jones Dr. took a lot of convincing to Dr. Seuss to let him animate this and do this. That they, I believe they, yeah, he was very resistant at first, but, mm-hmm. you know, eventually they came through this, and it's a holiday classic. People know this movie, um, and it, it, it's, it's, it, it's one of my favorite holiday movies with, mm-hmm. with, with Christmas. I'm not a big Christmas fan, but this one I've always enjoyed. And the reason is it shows, just like in Scrooge, it, you know, in, in A Christmas Carol, um, Scrooge is another one of my favorite ones with, with Bill Murray. I love that because oh, I love watching movie. Carol Kane beat the snot out of him. <laughs> it's a little oh, fairy, yeah. you know. <laughs> I like her. But um, even the smallest hearts can have some growth, especially when an epiphany hits them. And the Grinch 
with his grinch teeth. Ice cold in the snow. Spooky husband and puns. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. Puzzled and puzzed, she was puzzled of a sort. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. A little bit. Yeah, very much so. And so, you know, he, he, everybody knows, you know, his heart grows and bursts out the little frame they had around it on, on the cartoon. And he, he suddenly has all these feelings and takes the toys back and is invited to go down to eat with them and, and, and share the roast beast. The roast so, beast. <laughs> yes. That was a common the, uh, a common uh, phrase that went around our house at Christmas time. I'm going to eat the roast beast. Yes, and, and it fits beautifully. And what I enjoy about this movie is uh, not only, you know, the, the movie itself. I, I, you know, I like the little the, the monster turning into something cool at the end. Yes. You know, sometimes I like a little happy ending. But also, we can't play the song, but you heard part of it in the trailer. And the, 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 uh, the singer, you, you mentioned his name. Thurl But the whole, yeah, the whole song as it's going throughout the movie, throughout, throughout, the, throughout this TV short, has so many wonderful little phrases in it. Oh, yeah. You know, and I love it. I like it when the, you really are a heel, you know, that sort of thing. Oh, but so there's funny. there are some descriptors of really, truly awful things that they're comparing the Grinch <laughs> to in them. And it, they are just fun to listen to on their own. I always love it when they get to stink, stank, stunk. <laughs> yes. Uh, do, funny. Very do funny you, stuff. Do you like the Grinch, Joe? I am. Um, a huge Grinch fan, and I usually parody it every every year on the uh, Tim Quirimall show. Oh, very cool. <laughs> yes, excellent. Yeah, so I, I, we could, I could not let Boris Karloff's birthday go un, uncelebrated because, you know, we, we, missed the, we missed the week that it was in, but he's just such a talent. And, you know, it's – I mean, he was even in – uh, 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 the the ghost in the invisible bikini, <laughs> <laughs> and Bikini Beach. So you know he he has a wide uh, variety of uh, of of different things he has been in. Like John Carradine, he never saw a paycheck he didn't like. It looked like it, and you know you know he 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 just he he, he pulled it off. I love him when he played. Like the, the, the seemingly uh, harmless doctor that turns out not to be, or, you know, just... Oh, yeah. He, yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> what was that movie that was that he was in? I loved... Uh, uh, oh, God. Uh, the, there was a movie, and it was loosely based on, I think, uh, Whisper in Darkness, I think, uh, the the H.P. Lovecraft story. Oh, my God. It was, a, it, it was something like... It wasn't the unearthly because that's a John Carradine movie. Uh, it was something like that. Oh my God! Off to off to figure out what that is. But no, that that's a great one. Um, but it's got one of those titles that I mix up with other movies all the time. Um, yes. 
Ryan Wilson um, Kirk Harloff. Yeah, he was correct? in the he was in the TV movie version of Arsenic of Old and Old Lace too in 1962. Oh, cool. And he shares his birthday with his daughter. Oh wow, what a birthday present that is, huh? Yeah, that that's kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, it was called Die Monster Die, um, and AKA Monster of Terror, 1965. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and it's ba- it's no, it's a loose adaptation of Lovecraft's The Color Out of Space. That's what it is. <clears throat> yes, I and see it written there. He played Nahum Whitley. Yep. Nice. So, uh, but yeah, no, the, excellent I- information on Karloff. Uh, in, appreciate that very much anything else you want to add before we get going to the break um not that i can think of all right well prepare yourself we're returning to the twilight zone but we're going thematic you know christmas and once you hear you'll you'll understand the significance of this sound after next segment loki get off the stove (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not the pots again. <laughs> um, yeah, you'll you'll understand the significance of that when we talk about Twilight Zone uh, episode Christmas classic Night of the Meek, starring Art Carney and a, a beautiful performance. And I just knew after I recorded all the audio for it, we we're going to need more time, so we're going to talk about that when we come back. And we'll have birthday trailers too. So hang tight. We'll be right back. And now, on with the show. Going to be a good night. Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last. The real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish undertaker. Something evil. Come in. You know why I've asked you here. You must convince the villagers that I'm harmless. Trembling, are you afraid? Not recommended for impressionable children. Nice. <laughs> that's from an old coffee commercial that he did. So I was like, that's just perfect to, you know, start off an hour. Uh, anyway, welcome back to the program. Uh, yeah, since it is uh, Christmas coming up, uh, Merry Christmas, James Bond. Merry Christmas, 007. Uh, we decided we would talk uh, at length about the Twilight Zone episode, Night of the Meek, starring Art uh, Carney. And a couple other familiar faces that uh, could be seen kicking around. A couple different big character actors. Uh, one being uh, the voice of Piglet, I believe. Um, uh, yes! <laughs> yeah, so uh, Night of the Meek, not from 1985. Why would... There was a... Oh, they remade Night of the Meek. Okay, so we don't want that one. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so uh, from 1959, season two, episode 11, uh, Art Carney is Henry Corwin. Uh, John Fielder is Mr. Dundee. John Fielder is the guy who played the vo- did the voice of Piglet. And uh, let me see. Um, also a uh, Star Trek alum. 
Um. Oh, who's that? John Fielder. Oh, John Fielder was in Star Trek. Oh, oh okay, that's right. He was. I. Uh, I he was remember. in uh, Wolf in the Fold. Ah, okay. The and, administrator. Mm-hmm. And there's the another. Legend. And there's another Star Trek alum in this one. Guess who it is? Uh, Art Carney <laughs> or Val no. Avery? Oh, no, Sister Florence. Oh, uh, Meg Willie. Wiley. Yes, she was one of the Telosians. Oh, okay. One of the zookeepers. And the legendary character actor Burt Mustin from everything from the Twilight Zone to Adam-12 to... Uh, all, he, he did all kinds of stuff. Uh, he's, he, uh, but yeah, he often just played an old dude. <laughs> oh, the old guy. The old guy with a really thin face and a hatchet-like yeah. nose? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Exactly. We were trying to remember. I We've seen him in like, so many westerns and stuff, too. Oh, yeah. So, and he wanted a pipe and a smoking jacket in this episode. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, welcome back, everybody. Uh, sorry about that. Miles, welcome back. Uh, and, uh, I hope you, uh, had fun watching this episode. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, definitely your classic uh, Twilight Zone. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's, it, you know, a really powerful episode, Joe. I mean, I was, I was like a mess it after is. I, I watched it again. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. Yeah, the, the, a lot uh, of feels going on. Um, so, uh, but we'll start off the, the, uh, the, the story opens in a 19, late 1950s, 1960s style department store. And oh, a little bit of fun fact on this. This was, a uh, a budget saver episode and it was shot on early videotape. There were six episodes that were shot on early videotape and, uh, you know, so it has a very distinctive look to it. Um, compared to the film filmed episodes of the Twilight Zone, um, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, but yeah, so it starts off in a uh, department store, and of course, uh, there Santa's throne is empty, and John Fielder is Mister Dundee, um, mm-hmm. is trying to do some damage control with uh, family members who are upset that Santa's not there. <laughs> Santa Claus should be back by six o'clock. Now you stop here. That's all. It's six thirty. <laughs> yeah, kids upset. So uh, we uh, uh, so where where could Santa Claus possibly be? He's probably just got hung up at the North Pole, right, Joe? Uh, if the North Pole. Has uh, shots and beers? Yeah. <laughs> if that's the name of a dive bar, yes. That's <laughs> yes. where he is. <laughs> at the Rose, he was at the Rose and Crown. <laughs> yes, yeah. he was. Uh, and, uh, you know, in, in you know, uh, Michelle, the, the, when you see Art Carney in the Santa suit, it's just, it just automatically, I, I don't know, like, I felt tears welling in my eyes. Like, what's going on? You know? <laughs> Uh, like this is, this is just immediately sad. And, and he's sitting there and he's drinking and, and these little kids look in the window. And also, I think this might've been a bit of inspiration for Superman three where the, the classic Superman drinking 
at the at the bar. You uh-huh. know, so it, it, it's kind of it, it made me think of that. You know, Santa Claus getting drunk, Superman getting drunk, um, and uh, it, it, it might that might be, have been a, a a bit of a um, a hat tip to this episode. I'm not sure, but um, but yeah, it, it's just a real real heartbreaking moment seeing Santa Claus just you know barely able to speak and pay for his tab and everything, and you know, just sad. But he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't fail waving at the kids either, though. Which no, is, he does still, not. You know, yeah, he still has his humanity there. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and uh, we, we, we find out later more about the depth of his sorrow, Miles. But at this point, after he sees the children in the window, uh, he, you know, decides to strike up a conversation with the bartender, who's not so nice. Um, nah, no, bartender <laughs> has no pity in him. Doesn't definitely does not have the Christmas spirit in him. No, and uh, and this is what, uh, uh, of course. Uh, so our our Santa Claus, uh, aka uh, uh, Henry Corwin, he uh, he posits a question to the bartender. Why isn't there a real Santa Claus for kids like that? What am I supposed to be? Some kind of philosopher? You know what your trouble is, Corwin? You let that dopey red suit go to your head. What are you, some kind of a nut? Here's your change. I'll flip you. Double or nut. Come on, what do you think this is, Monte Carlo? Finish your sandwich and get out of here. I've had enough to eat. Hello, Jack's place. No, Jack's not here. This is Bruce. Wait a minute. Santa Claus, I catch you trying that one more time, I'm going to break both your arms up to the shoulder blades. Now go on, get out of here. What's that? No, it's just Santa Claus trying to heist the joint. Thanks a lot, Bruce. So yeah, he tried to to lift the bottle of booze off the counter and take it with him, but uh, he didn't. But I'll tell you what, nobody was fighting Superman for the bottle of booze. <laughs> no. <laughs> and watch out if you give him a bowl of peanuts too. <laughs> um, in case anybody remembers that, because um, he was flicking the peanuts off the bar, shattering the bottles. <laughs> yeah, all, all I know is that he's a mean drunk, according to the joke. Oh yeah, there is a there is a a, a real mean uh, yeah that that is a that is a funny joke. Uh, I don't remember how appropriate it is, but uh, it's the yeah oh he's a real asshole when he's drunk. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah uh, anyway um, yeah so so we're kind of getting this set up, Joe, where you know he's he's you know he he's he still has his humanity, but something's really bothering him, and mm-hmm. um, and of course. We have a little bit of a setup from Rod Serling as well, but uh, you know, but it, so so this starts, it, but it's it just immediately starts pulling at your heartstrings immediately in this episode, right? You know, right because uh, as soon as he leaves the bar, he runs into a couple of children. Uh, yeah, you no, know, you know what it reminded me of uh, in in a Christmas Carol when uh, uh, Ghost of Christmas Future. Under his robes, he had want and despair, two children, yeah. and it was like that. That scene, 
Yeah, yeah you're, you're exactly right. Sorry? Oh, I said, yeah, and uh, uh, that was the next scene as he walks out of the bar, he runs into these these little children. Yeah, and I think that's where the, the having clip... A tough- yeah, I think that's where the clip starts off and then it goes into Rod Serling. So uh, here's that. Please, Santa. I want a carriage and a dolly. Please, I want a gun and a playhouse and a set of soldiers in the fort. And oh, please, Santa Claus, a job for my daddy. Oh, my God. A big turkey for our Christmas dinner. This is Mr. Henry Corwin, normally unemployed, who once a year takes the lead role in the uniquely popular American institution, that of the department store Santa Claus, in a road company version of the night before Christmas. But in just a moment, Mr. Henry Corwin, Ersatz Santa Claus, will enter a strange kind of North Pole, which is one part the wondrous spirit of Christmas and one part the magic that can only be found in the Twilight Zone. Oh, my God. Seriously, Serling? You're just, you know, I mean, just right there. You know, you hear Art Carney crying, you know, when the kid says, in a job for my daddy. It's like, oh, my Lord. Uh, mm. You're killing me. <laughs> yes. His perform his performance was so good. I mean, yeah. you know, I, uh, go ahead, Miles. No, it's I've just I almost lost it. I I just don't think that 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 poor kid ever got a firearm. Uh yeah, <laughs> poor kid. <laughs> so I want a gun. I want a gun in a Gadsden flag. <laughs> gonna gonna end it all. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh gosh um but uh but yeah so you know but yeah seeing just you know art carney starting to weep there and just have such love for those children michelle was just oh god almighty yes Terrible. yes very beautiful very beautiful <laughs> <laughs> so and then what was really hard to watch and i i should since I, I didn't get all of the audio from this but uh but i did get the results is when he makes it back to the department store He's just sauced. He is just out of it. Um, and, you know, he, he gets into it with the store manager a little bit. And, you know, and he, he gets up into his chair. And this little kid comes up and he's like, I want a different first name or whatever. Percival. Uh, Percival, yeah. And uh, uh, a different front name. That's what he said. Um, and, and, and so he's like, Hey, I think I got something for you. Hold on. And he leans forward, just face plants. Um, and the, the mother's all pissed off and runs out and is like, I will never frequent this store again. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and that's when company meeting. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this is, uh, where, uh, the HR duties, um, uh, come in for, um, Mr. Dundee. So here, here's that. And now, Mr. Chris Kringle of the Lower Decks, since it is only a few hours till closing time, it is my distinct pleasure to tell you that there is no more need for your services. You have had it. Now get out of here. Uh, I'll be very glad to. And get that crummy red suit back to wherever you rented it from before you really tie one on and destroy it for good and all. You drunk! Thank you very much, Mr. Dundee. That's to my drinking. 
This is indefensible. And you have my abject apologies. I find of late that I have very little choice in the matter of expressing emotions. I can either drink or I can weep. And drinking is so much more subtle. Will you please leave? But it's for my insubordination. I was not rude to that woman. Someone should remind her that Christmas is more than barging up and down department store aisles and pushing people out of the way. Now, Corwin... Someone has to tell her that Christmas is another thing finer than that. Richer, finer, truer. And it should come with patience and love, charity, compassion. That's what I would have told her if you'd give me the chance. Well, and he did get the chance because he was immediately hired back after that moving speech by Mr. Dundee. No, that's not true. <laughs> I tell you, that shows his people skills, though. He, he dressed him down in the middle of the store in front of all the patrons and yeah. the kids. And the looks on those kids' faces... As you know, the the boss is is berating the Santa. Is it's just it's heart wrenching. Yeah, and the the kids the, the because they were getting it, they were understanding, they were absorbing what he was talking about. So uh, you know, maybe they won't be as crass and as cruel as their parents when they grow up. Um, but uh, you know, and I was just gonna leave it there, and then I'm like watching the episode, and I'm like, I can't let the next clip go. <laughs> you know, I'm, you know, there's like another minute and a half of pure beauty out of Art Carney's mouth coming up, and uh, and of course, Mister Dundee continues to to try and dress him down, uh, even though that suit is pretty. Yeah, he is a Santa Claus from the lower decks or whatever he, um, <laughs> whatever uh, Mister Dundee called him. That that suit is pretty shabby. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's just almost poetic, the, the dialogue that Art Carney was given, Joe. I, I know, and he, and he makes everybody feel, um, guilty for their yeah. avarice and greed. Yeah. And, uh, I know I, uh, um, immediately returned everything that I bought for people this year. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, just, uh, you know, the, this is like just uh, miles. It's, 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 they're continuing the, the one, two punches in this episode, just one after it the is other. A, yeah. Uh, definitely a, uh, it, it's intentional and it's, uh, it's, it's a success. It's a successful. It yeah. succeeded in what it was attempting to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, this will be the last clip we play before the, uh, birthday trailer break, but, uh, this is the follow-up where, uh, Mr. Dundee is like, oh, isn't that so great of you? And he's like, but you know what? Uh, uh, he's like, oh, please impart your wisdom on us. And, uh, Corwin continues to say, no, just hold on. This is what I see. And this is why, this is, this is why I drink. Well, how philosophical, Mr. Corwin. Now, perhaps as your parting word, you can tell us how we can go about living up to these wondrous Yule standards which you have so graciously laid down for us. 
I don't know how to tell you, Mr. Dundee. I don't know at all. All I know is that I'm an aging, purposeless relic of another time, and I live in a dirty rooming house on a street filled with hungry kids and shabby people where the only thing to come down the chimney on Christmas Eve is more poverty. Will you keep your voice down? You know another reason why I drink, Mr. Dundee? So that when I walk down the tenements, I can really think it's the North Pole and the children are elves and that I'm really Santa Claus, bringing them a bag of wondrous gifts for all of them. I just wish Mr. Dundee on one Christmas, only one, that I could see some of the hopeless ones and the dreamless ones. Just on one Christmas, I'd like to see the meek inherit the earth. That's why I drink, Mr. Dundee. And that's why I weep. Oh, my God. Seriously, I need to play this clip for me right now. Oh, no. Oh, he's getting sad now. Oh, no, there's like a watering oh. in the eyes. Oh, now he's running away. Oh, is he going to cry? Is he going to cry? Did you see that? He was totally going to cry. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I weep. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I yeah, mean, just that line alone, you know, I can either drink or I can weep, and drinking is so much more subtle. That just, that's the one that drove it home for me. I'm just pure like, pure art. Oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, art from art from art. <laughs> you know, he, he his first name, uh, you know, he, he was doing his art right there. And, you know, and for, for those, uh, those young bucks out there who might be listening, if you don't know who Art Carney is, he was, of course... In the honeymooners, uh, as the buddy uh, uh, Norton, Norton, who lived upstairs, um, from um, what was uh, Jackie Gleason's character's name? Um, Ralph Cramden. Ralph Cramden, thank you. And it was um, Norton. What was uh, what was Norton's first name? Good question. Uh... I'll look up Art Carney. Um, but, uh, but no, you know, I have not seen Art Carney in a lot of different things. Um, and, uh, wow, he... He, pe- hmm? he played a mean shotgun-wielding farmer in Firestarter. Oh, nice. Yeah, he, he, he yeah, lived... He was one, he, yeah, it was the old, the old couple that she went back to at the end. He lived uh, until age 85 and passed away in 2003. I thought he actually passed away earlier than that. Um, Ed Norton, Ed Norton. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, same as the actor. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Edward Norton, yeah. So, who is a real pain in the ass. Um, so, uh. He played a villain in the Batman TV show. I forgot about that. Oh, did he? What was the name of the villain? Played the Archer. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, uh, but yeah, he's in Last Action Hero, The Muppets Take Manhattan. Uh, so very cool, very cool. But, um, but no, just masterful work from, uh, you know, somebody who, uh, you know, um, you know, lived a, a long, a long life and he did radio as well. Um, uh, he was in a, a pot of gold, 
first big money giveaway show. <laughs> um, and, uh, it, and he, uh, he did impersonations of, uh, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Winston Churchill, uh, Miles. Oh, wow. So that, that's uh, impressive. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so anyway, uh, let's go ahead. We'll leave that as a cliffhanger there because we got to find out what this noise, uh, is all about. Um, oh, did I move it again? Um, yeah, I did. I'm an idiot. Um, so, uh, let me see. Twilight Zone. Cats and cans. That's what this clip is called. <laughs> Yeah, we've got to find out what that clip is all about because that's where the that's where the the twist comes into the episode. So Michelle, uh, birthday trailers for tonight. Uh, we got a, a nice solid chunk of seven minutes and thirty one seconds. So why don't you rattle them off for us? Okay. Um, I just my list just flipped on me. Hold on. Don't flip your list. All right. Tonight we have uh, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., who was born December 9th, in 1909, and I chose Sinbad the Sailor, of course. He's still alive, um, right? Uh, what? He's still alive, right? No, he just. <laughs> I think 2020. I think he died. No, oh. <laughs> that's not him. That's Kirk right. Douglas who died then. Sorry, was, never mind. Uh, at 111. So, well, Kirk, Kirk Douglas is our next uh, 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 actor, and uh, December 9th, 1916, and he died recently. Mm -hmm. He was 103 when he died. That's right. And the, and the movie I have for him is a great horror movie called The Fury. Nice. And then uh, the last movie, the last actress we have is Jo Beth Williams. She was born December 6th in 1948 in Houston, Texas. And of course, her movie is Poltergeist. Perfect. We'll be right back after this. Vagabond of the Arabian Nights, the glorious braggart who made his tallest tales come true. Sinbad, who outwitted an army to invade the sacred baths of the harem beauties. Drawn by the smoldering challenge of the girl called Shireen, the jewel of Persia. Shireen, beautiful and dangerous, who had flame in her hair, in her eyes, in her arm. If I put you on the scales, measured delicately against the price I paid for this ship, would you go up or down? Take her. Take her from my sight. Let her go when it pleases you to the richest bitter and diabolic street of the lepers. It's the blood feud that set the East ablaze as this daredevil defies a sultan's decree of death. Adventures that beggar description. Schemes that defy comparison as Sinbad faces the avenging galleys of the Corsair pirates, closing in a mighty sea battle for the loveliest prize in Araby. And you can help me keep an eye on this crew. 
Any man that signals the Droman is a fish's dinner. Or any woman. Let her be doubly watched. You did not. There are no secrets between father and son, except one. You have a talent that would shock the hell out of people. But it's a talent that else can be put to good use. For lovers of the shocking, the suspenseful, and the terrifying, comes a new classic, The Fury. Read my mind. Look, I don't know anything about reading minds, all right? The Fury, an experience in terror and suspense. They took my son away from me. They needed him, so they just took him. What the hell have you done to that boy? Oh, he's being treated like a prince. He is, he's royalty, unique. Chinese don't have one, Soviets don't have one. In all the world, there's no one quite like Robin Sands, unless it's this girl. Who's Robin Sands? He's a boy your age with powers like yours. Powers that build. And build. Until they become the Fury. I want Gillian Belliver at the PSI facility tomorrow. It's a frightening power these people have. They can make anybody disappear anytime. She's a fake. I'm sending her home. I don't have time to waste on people. Don't do that to me, Doctor. Don't ever try lying to me. Gillian? What's the matter, Robin? You know what's the matter. Stop, Gillian! That girl's taking my place after you poisoned me! The Fury is the power that holds the key to all power. There, I was lying before. Robin's not okay. He needs us now. of the shocking. Robin? The suspenseful. Please answer me. And the terrifying. Robin! Comes a new classic. 20th Century Fox presents a Frank Yablon's presentation. Don't you recognize your old man? The Fury. <laughs> the Fury. A Brian De Palma film. An experience in terror and suspense. looks just like the one next to it and the one next to that and the one next to that a young couple live in it give Ken a kiss <laughs> you are so with their three children <laughs> and something more
woke up and you said you're here. Uh-huh. Well, who did you mean? Who's here? TV people. Something's funny going on here next door. Something, uh... We were wondering if maybe you had experienced any disturbances lately. What kind of disturbances? Tennessee this time. What are you doing, boy? So, <laughs> anyway, welcome back to the show. Great trailer selection there, Michelle. Awesome stuff. Oh, thank you. Yeah, they're they're a lot of fun ones. You know, I could have come, I could have gotten Ghost Story for for Douglas Fairbanks Jr., but I went with his more more, more iconic role. So, oh yeah, you know that's that's a great movie. So, and uh, of course, welcome back to you, Michelle, and uh, welcome back, Miles. Uh, yeah, this is you know. We're going to be a, a, a sobbing heap by the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> and Joe, of course, uh, did, do, do you recall, did you see this uh, episode as a kid when it came out? Uh, I might have. I probably have. Yeah. Sure. So, uh, but um, yeah, it's such a good, such a great episode. And, you know... Now I, you know, I, I actually, uh, I'm not trying to push it on anybody, but I do have a copy of this on DVD and VHS for sale, and our Christmas stuff at the store. And now I know why they put it, put this episode out as a standalone because, you know, this should be on everybody's, uh, you know, Christmas shelves of movies if they're still collecting uh, physical media, with you know, right along with you know, a Christmas Story, a, a Christmas Carol. Uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, uh, you know, Rudolph Frosty, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, you know, it's pretty great stuff. Um, and uh, hell, I, I even say you should have a copy of the original uh, uh, Max Fleischer Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer from 1938, I think. Um, also for sale at my eBay store. <laughs> so, because <laughs> um, uh, that, that, that one was really fun. Um, but anyway, welcome back, uh, everybody, and uh, let's go ahead and find out what's going on with that crazy cat and those uh, those tin cans. <laughs> so, um, uh, so after getting fired from the um, the department store, um, uh, Art Carney's character, uh, uh, the the uh, low budget Santa, uh, is Henry Corwin. 
Um, he he just starts uh, wandering around the the city streets and uh, comes upon an alley and starts walking down an alley. And uh, there is a cat in the alley, uh, hence alley cats. Uh, (laughs) And it knocks something down onto the ground. of Christmas magic. So I think I might have missed a crucial part there because I think there was a part of him lamenting, wanting to, well, you know, he did say, why can't there be a real Santa Claus uh, to the bartender? And I think there was a point where he was lamenting not being able to, you know, make, uh, you know, everybody happy and be a real Santa Claus. And so what happens is that when he's down this alley, this cat knocks over this big burlap looking sack uh, and a bunch of empty tin cans uh, roll out onto the ground. And you just see them behind him as he walks past. And then you hear the jingle bells, and he turns around, and out of the sack is spilling all these fancily wrapped Christmas gifts just all over the ground. So he scoops him up, and he runs out in the street, and he's, come on out, kids. And uh, a bunch of little kids come running outside, and he's like, what do you want? What do you want? And he starts pulling out the exact item from this bag of holding, I assume it is in D&D terms. Um, so, <laughs> um, and, uh, he, uh, and he starts just everything that somebody wants, you know, toy truck, you know, ba- baby doll, you know, whatever, uh, he's giving them everything that they want. And, uh, so, uh, then it cuts to a commercial <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, he, um, uh, the, uh, that other character actor I was talking about, Burt Mustin, um, I should have gotten this, but I, I didn't realize how much time we would have to talk about it when I was doing it. But Bert Mustin runs into, uh, what would you call that, uh, Joe, where the sister, the nun was? And it's kind of like an early version of AA, uh, where I guess maybe a, a boarding house where they had to stay, you know, sober to, to live there or something like that or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it was like a mission. Yeah, yeah. Like like the old-fashioned missions. Where they might get some soup or food, and then they have to stay and sing hymns and pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, very similar to the Star Trek mission when they went back in time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. It is. And uh, uh, it where Spock was building an impossible machine. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> and and, and, uh, the, and the people in the in the mission were saying, "Oh, now we have to sit and wait for the speech." <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, but Burt Mustin, uh, character actor Burt Mustin, his character runs in and, uh, he's like, Santa Claus is coming down the street and he's giving out presents to everybody. Whatever your heart desires he has, he's going to give it to you. 
And again, you know, uh, uh, I think bag of holding is is probably close, right, Miles? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> so in Dungeons and Dragons, that's like a, a bag that's a tesseract. It's bigger on the inside. Um, uh, so like a, like a TARDIS. Yeah, like a TARDIS bag. <laughs> so, uh, I, if anybody if anybody can find me a bag of holding for for Christmas, let me know. I, that would help with my uh, eBay storage. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah. when, when, the, hmm? when when he runs into the the mission, uh, there's uh, a a nun, or sister, whatever, sister Florence playing the organ and they're singing uh, him mm-hmm. Christmas hymn, and she she has the look on her face like Nurse Ratched. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you should be singing you know. along right now, or else. And she gets really upset because they interrupt the song. And when she turns around, you see that she was one of the Telosians in the cage. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, <laughs> um, An unmistakable face. So, uh, and she, so she, she was not very, looking very kindly on the fact that uh, uh, Henry Corwin had this uh, magic bag and was running around giving people their, what their heart desires. And we find out more about the bag as we go. But, uh, but here's, so he get, he comes in to the mission, gives out a pipe and a smoking jacket to somebody and a sweater and a bunch of other stuff. And he's like, how about you, uh, sis- sister so-and-so? Would, would you like a new dress? And she, she's not pleased. Where did you get all these gifts? Sister Florence, don't ask me to explain. I'm just as much in the dark as anybody else. All I know is I've got a Santa Claus bag here that gives everybody exactly what they want for Christmas. And as long as it's putting out, I'm putting in. in. (laughs) Sister Florence, how about a new dress? Yeah. Oh, that was the insult. Give that to Sister Florence when she comes back. So she goes running out. Bottle of wine, Santa Claus. Bottle of wine. He doesn't give him a bottle of wine. Merry Christmas, officer. Merry Christmas. What's your name? Henry Corwin. Or is it? I don't know. Maybe it's Santa Claus or Chris Kringle. I don't know. You're drunk, Corwin. Is that it? You're drunk? Of course I'm drunk. I'm intoxicated with the spirit of the Yule. Drunk with the spirit of the Yule. Intoxicated with the magic and wonder that is Christmas Eve. I'm inebriated with joy and delight. Yes, officer, I'm drunk. (laughs) We'll settle this in a hurry. You got a receipt for this stuff? Receipt? Of course you got a receipt. No. Sister Florence? Please collect all the stolen goods and put them in a pile over there. I'll send for them when I check on who owns them. Oh, no. Come on, Santa. Yes, be right with you, officer. Don't worry about a thing, gentlemen. I'll have this house more away. There's more with this. All right, Santa. Officer, let me tell you how this whole thing started. You know, he should have had one of his buddies at the mission say, ask for a receipt for all this stuff. (laughs) 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 That would have worked, right? Or just say, I just have gift receipts. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, no refunds, just uh, exchanges. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so basically the cop comes in, takes him down to the police station, and of course we get a return of a character, Michelle. Uh, you're talking about the uh, piglet the, the store manager, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yes, Mrs. So, so Mr. Dundee is there, 
And it's another character that it returns in this part too. Uh, mm-hmm. go ahead. It's the kitty's second screenshot. Oh, it is, and it's a boy. Boy, I saw that on the screen. That video was pretty high def. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh boy, hello fella. Um, and uh, the the cat was not fixed, folks. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it, I think Tennessee might even been jealous of that guy, but Tennessee man, he had a set. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm talking about cat balls. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, so, so there they are, Miles, in the police, uh, station, and, uh, you know, he's, he's the cop and the store manager trying to get information out of him on where he got the stuff, and, you know, and he's like, it's, it's, I'm just, you want it, and it's, I take it out of the bag. But it only works right. for, it doesn't, it doesn't work the same way for everybody. Exactly. So when the store manager jumps in thinking, aha, I will find out what is stolen from this bag, <laughs> all of a sudden he's not pulling out goodies. No, no. And that's where we get a greater explanation of the magic of the sack. Listen, you moth-eaten Robin Hood. The wholesale theft of thousands of dollars worth of goods is not a slight discrepancy. Though I can tell you right now, Colwyn, this whole affair comes as no surprise to me. I perceived that criminal glint in your eye the first minute I laid eyes on you. I'm not a student of human nature for nothing. Hey. Seems to me that you've put your finger on the problem, Mr. Dundee. This bag doesn't know whether to give out gifts or garbage. Well, it was giving out gifts when I seen it. Whatever they was wanting, Colvin was supplying. All kinds of stuff. Toys, gifts, anything. Expensive stuff. Admit it, Colvin. Oh, oh, I admit it. I admit it. But seems to me the essence of our problem is that we're dealing with a most unusual bag. Yes. Well, my advice to you, Colvin, is to clean up this mess and get out of here. Officer Flaherty, you call yourself a policeman. Well, I suppose it is a demanding task to distinguish between a bag full of garbage and an inventory of expensive stolen gifts. Oh, Mr. Dundee. Believe me, it's like Corwin says. We're dealing with the supernatural here. In other words, all we have to do is to ask Mr. Corwin to make a little abracadabra for us and no sooner said done. Well, go ahead, Corwin. I fancy a, a bottle of cherry brandy, vintage 1903. Oh, that's a good year. And for you, Officer Flaherty, how dare you drag me down here at the busiest time of the year to look at a bag full of look, garbage look, that Dundee was found by Dundee. Pardon me, gentlemen. Merry Christmas to both of you. To Mr. Dundee from Santa. Here, Mr. Dundee, you need one. You need one. Drink up. Yeah, need one. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, he produced the exact bottle of booze that he requested, and it had a tag that said "From Sandy Claus to Mr. Dundee." And uh, so, uh, case dismissed. <laughs> and and of course, uh, Corwin uh, Henry Corwin walks out uh, of the police department scot free. And uh, continues to uh, play Santa Claus and give out all the gifts um, and uh, to anything that anybody wants. And then the ending that I had completely forgotten about. 
too. So this last clip, unless anybody has anything else to say, this last clip is basically four minutes of the end of the episode that kind of lays it all out. So uh, anybody else want have anything they want to add before we get to that? Nothing comes to mind. All right. Um. So, yeah. Just yeah. uh, does this happen after the bag is emptied? Uh, it, it, that's basically, it shows everything. Uh, okay. Yeah. It, it, I have all the audio, uh, till the end of, till Rod Serling comes back in. So. Yeah. Because this is very touching. Very interesting too. Yeah. So, uh, so here we go. Uh, here he is, uh, uh, you know, dispensing with the gifts once again. And, uh, until he gets to the last gift. Nothing for you this Christmas. Oh, okay. So I take that back. This is that's not exactly where I thought it started. Uh, he gave out, yes. Yeah, so Michelle, he gave out all the presents until they they were all gone. The bag was empty, and then the guy that he gave the smoking jacket to, played by Burt Mustin, comes out and says, "Nothing for you." Good job, Tennessee. That was great. Asshole. Yeah. Where's the? Uh... That's the sound effect. Yeah. <laughs> I had a couple boxes in here that I was going through for store stock, and he just jumped on top of them and knocked them down. So, uh, but anyway, yeah. So the so the bag is empty, and of course, Bert Mustin's character starts off and says, "Nothing for you this year, huh?" Well, I don't think that's exactly the case. Nothing for you this Christmas. Well, I think I've had the nicest Christmas since the beginning of time. Nothing for you. Nothing for yourself. Not a thing. You know, I I can't think of anything I want. I guess what I've really wanted is to be the biggest gift giver of all times. And in a way, I think I had that tonight. Although if I had my choice of any gift, any gift at all, I think I'd wish I could do this every year. It'd be some gift, wouldn't it, Bert? Oh, sure would. God bless you, Bert, and Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you too, Santa. And thanks for the smoking jacket and the pipe. Don't mention it. down the alley that he uh, had been in before and there's a sleigh with reindeer attached to it and somebody else waiting for him
We've got a year of hard work ahead of us to get ready for next Christmas. Come on. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. All right, you took flight, and here comes the... Going home, Officer Flaherty. Going home, Mr. Dundee, and you? Yeah. Going home, Officer Flaherty. This is the most remarkable Christmas Eve I've ever had. And, of course, these guys have been drinking that bottle of booze that he asked for, and then they look up. <laughs> I could have sworn that I... Did you see it? I thought I did. Well, what did you see? I don't think I ought to tell you, Mr. Dundee. You might report me for drinking on duty. Now, go <laughs> ahead. What did you see? It was Corwin, Mr. Dundee, big as life, and a sleigh with reindeer sitting next to an elf and riding up toward the sky. That's about the size of it, ain't it, Mr. Dundee? Flaherty, you better come home with me, and we'll pour out some hot coffee, and we'll pour some brandy in it, and we'll... And we'll thank God for miracles, Flaherty. <laughs> a word to the wise to all the children of the 20th century. Whether their concern be pediatrics or geriatrics. Whether they crawl on hands and knees and wear diapers or walk with a cane and comb their beards. There's a wondrous magic to Christmas and there's a special power reserved for little people. In short, there's nothing mightier than the meek. And a Merry Christmas to each and all. Sounded like that was tacked on at the end. It was totally different audio quality. And then Merry Christmas to one and all. So <laughs> But what a wonderful, <laughs> absolutely magnificent, wonderful episode of the Twilight Zone. And, you know, it's it's one of those one of those shows that makes you not want to hate people so damn much for being so stupid. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes. Uh but it's tough. It depends on your situation. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it just, it, inside and out, Michelle, this was a, a, a wonderful episode. It was funny. It was, it was charming. It was, you know, heart wrenching and, you know, just had all the, you know, hit all the notes, the, that a good Twilight Zone episode does too. Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, one of the good things about it though is also, <laughs> I was worried, you know, how jaded we are these days. I was worried, you know when I originally had seen the episode that it was going to end up being one of those ones where, you, you know, yeah, he becomes Santa Claus at the end. And then the, the police are walking by an alley and you see his frozen body, like <laughs> where the garbage cans are or something. Or they, <laughs> or they shoot him out of the sleigh. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, call the military. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but anyway, no, I, I really, thoroughly enjoyed rewatching this it was it was a real treat and i think this will be on my annual uh, uh christmas sabathon uh viewing so <laughs> um along with the along with the lassie that when he gets run over by the truck oh dear lord did you remember that's a classic i i, I don't know that I, I i think for good reason I think maybe my parents shielded me from that. Lassie <laughs> well, getting hit by a truck on Christmas Eve? <laughs> no, yeah, I never heard. Is that real? 
Oh yes. Oh dear. Oh God. yeah. Oh dear. Oh God. yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's got a happy ending, of course. Oh, of course. But, he does. But but he has a brain injury that only one veterinarian in the whole world ever did, and he's on his way to New York Christmas with his family. Wow. But Ruth comes to the rescue and thinks that get it on the radio and maybe you'll hear it and come down to the farm. Yeah, the so operation. I really like how, t- <laughs> I, you know, and speaking of animals getting hit by things or knocking things over, I like how this was a self-fulfilling prophecy episode with Tennessee tonight. <laughs> yeah. Very much. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Tennessee just wanted to get in on the act, that's all. Uh, I swear to God, that cat's smarter than I believe he is. <laughs> um, Sentient. Uh, he could be, or prescient. <laughs> uh, I don't know, prescient. Uh, but anyway, prescient. yeah. So, let, uh, uh, Miles, any any final thoughts on this uh, this wonderful Twilight Zone episode? Yeah, it's definitely a classic Twilight Zone. Got your magic and uh, uh, you know. It, it it's a it's a feel good one, so yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, Joe, any any other thoughts on this one before we wrap things up? Just amazing. Uh, when I first saw this uh, as an adult, I, I just marveled at the the range of someone you think is a a, a goofy character and mm-hmm. and the and the the Cramdons, and this guy had such acting range. Oh yeah, you know, and, and could he, you know, pull emotions out of you that, you know, you, you wouldn't expect. Yeah, I mean that was that was, wow, powerful stuff. And again, very a very poetic script too. Um, and uh, and uh, okay, and Michelle, any other final thoughts before we wrap it up? Not offhand. It it is an enjoyable enjoyable episode. Um, I'm not a big, as I said, you know, Christmas feel good fan, but. That one was fun to watch, yeah, and uh, for sure. I do like I, I do like the kitty cat. So hey. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do parting shots. Uh, next week uh, we will be here, but we'll be off for two weeks. Uh, we'll be off for two weeks after that for Christmas and New Year's. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what we'll be talking about, but uh, I might go the same direction and find more non-Christmas or, or, or Christmas movies that aren't Christmas movies or whatever. Uh, so, uh, we'll see. We'll see where, where the chips may, may fall. Um, Joe, what do you got on the way out? Well, uh, a little self-promotion. We're going to have the Tim Cormoff show this week. And we're going to be uh, going over some gifts, ideas for your, uh, right-wing friends. Oh, like, excellent. Uh-oh. Yes, like Shaman on a Shelf. Um. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> we have the capital... <laughs> We have the the Lego Capital Riot, and um, oh, wow, and the uh, the beer barrel Kavanaugh. Oh my God! Uh, wow! Oh yeah, here you go. Here you go. There you go. Oh quality, boy! <laughs> quality stuff. Quality stuff. All right, we'll have to check it out. Um, and uh, Miles, what do you got? Uh, yes. So next week I will be talking about the James Webb Telescope and uh, all science stuff like that. Fun, fun. So, science for Christmas. I dig it. Science. Yeah. And, uh, Michelle, uh, you'll get final word tonight. Um, everybody just stay safe. 
Um, if you haven't gotten your booster shot and you're ready for it, go get it. Um, we want everybody healthy and happy out there. Um, and uh, Miles and I will be going to get ours soon. Be Very safe, cool. everyone. I done been boosted. I ain't no anti-vaxxer. Uh, yeah, so get get safe, everybody. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, it, think of your family members, not just yourself. So we'll see everybody in a week. Bye-bye. Merry Christmas, 007. Mele Kaliki Maka, everybody. <laughs>